Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man. Who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC. Who's who? Ultra Boy and Booster Gold, Lightning Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, Fitchick and Arisia and Woody Winks. Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC Who's Who. Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe, a proud member of the Fire and Water family of podcasts. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag from FirestormFan.com. Along with me is my co-host, the esteemed Rob Kelly from AquamanShrine.net. How you doing, buddy? I am disappointed, Shag. Uh, disappointed in that uh, our special guest star for this episode was supposed to be Shia LaBeouf, but he has just announced that he's withdrawing from public life. I'm very disappointed that he uh, pulled out of this episode. So this is going to have to be just the two of us. I know. I mean, he was the perfect fit for the Newsboy Legion. It just exactly, it, it, and it it's disappointing we don't have that now. So, um, in his place, periodically throughout the podcast, I'm just going to go no, 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 no. And just sort of, you know, fill in the void he left for us. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and and for for my part, I'm going to read from some Daniel Close comics, and it'll just be like having him here. So it'll be fantastic. Perfect. Perfect. Well, folks, we are back together to talk about one of our favorite publications from DC, Who's Who, the definitive directory of the DC universe. Woo! Wow. We're a little late. It's been more than a month. Yes, yes. We apologize. I don't. Suck it up, kids. Wow. Uh, makes, you, makes you appreciate it that much more. Good cop, bad cop. <laughs> um, you know, the first thing we're going to do is, we uh, before we get rolling, I want to uh, say thanks to our sponsors for this uh, helping us out. So this episode of the Who's Who podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 45% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. And I have just... I'm excited about this one. All right. Um, if you don't know, we're going to be covering the tail end of the M's and the beginning of the N's this month, which includes a negative man. Uh, so uh, if you're familiar with negative man, he's part of the Doom Patrol. And I just have to shout out to Doom Patrol by Grant Morrison. You can find three trades out there in Stark Trades. Actually, maybe more. I just saw three right off the bat. Uh, so I'm going to talk about Doom Patrol Volume 1, Crawling from the Wreckage. Have you read this thing? I don't think I – no, I don't think I have. Really? Wow, man, this is where Grant Morrison uh, really started coming out of his shell. Like, uh, oh, man, so good. So anyway, written by Grant, art by Richard Case, uh, and Doug Braithwaite. Got covers by Brian Bolland, so you know they're gorgeous. Mm. This thing reprints issues 19 through 25. It came off of like a very sort of traditional Doom Patrol run. I think it was Paul Kupperberg. Yes, it was. Yeah. And then the sales just weren't there, so they tried something different. So Grant took over. And, man, it is out there. Basically, the team has been practically destroyed. They're pulling things back together. The chief is there with Robot Man. Neg- Negative Man has been transformed into this, this um, hermaphrodite uh, being called Rebus. You've got Crazy Jane, and they're fighting against the Scissor Men. Oh, man, so good. Um, it normally retails for nineteen ninety nine. You can get it on in-stock trades for 45% off for $10.99. You can also pick up Volume 2. The Painting That Ate Paris, brilliant, that's actually where I started in the series, and Volume 3, Down Paradise Way, all for ten ninety nine, all 45% off in-stock trades. I cannot recommend them enough. These things helped launch Vertigo, truthfully. Absolutely. 
Uh, yeah, my pick for this week is another characters from the book. It's Night Force. This is DC. D- yeah, DC Comics presents Night Force number one, a hundred-page spectacular. So this acclaimed creative team behind Tomb of Dracula reunited in 1982 for DC's Night Force. Now DC reprints issues one to four of this cult favorite series that taps into the lore of Dracula. And of course, that means it's Marv Wolfman, Gene Colan, and Bob Smith. Uh, the page count is 96 pages since the first four issues. Uh, so it's a good little sampler. If you don't want to like invest into a whole trade paperback of Night Force before you know whether you like it, this is the perfect thing. It's four issues. Normal price is seven ninety nine. In stock trades is selling it for four dollars and thirty nine cents. That's forty five percent off. So it's the perfect little. You just want a t- little taste of Night Force to see if you like it. This is the perfect book to get, and you will like it because it was a really fun book. You know, what, you know what works well for that is that, like, I've, I've ordered from in-stock trades before, and I always seem to find myself around the $45 mark. <laughs> and it's like, I just need to get over 50 to get free shipping. Well, there you go. There Pick you up my yep. five bucks. Absolutely. Boom. That'll make yep. it happen. Can't beat that. So, yeah, as, as I was hinting there, free shipping for orders of $50 or more, folks. So please visit InStockTrades.com. Feel free to go up to their Contact Us button and let them know you heard about them on the uh, Who's Who podcast, part of the Fire and Water Network. So, All right. Well, let's talk about this. Folks, if this is your first time here, this is a who's who. What we're celebrating here is a 26-issue series. At least the first volume is. We will get into the second and subsequent volumes later. But uh, 26 issues celebrating the 50th anniversary of DC Comics. It's alphabetical listing. As I said, we're doing the M's and the N's this time. You've got a a cover jam. You've got no ads. 32 pages for a dollar. Beautiful, beautiful thing. Inside, you're going to get the entries on the characters. It's... um, Basically, you get a full page, you get a, a beautiful art piece, which usually takes up, I don't know, anywhere from a third to two-thirds of the page. Then you get their personal data. You get, like, their, their alter egos, occupation, height, weight, all this kind of stuff, their history, their powers and weapons. really gives you a feel for the character. And they've done these on all the different characters, teams, everything, and we're going to talk about that. And behind that cool image, there's going to be something in the background we call a surprint. Uh, actually, I shouldn't say we call it. is called a surprint. It is called a surprint, yeah. Yeah, officially, we researched that. Trust me. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm an expert in this now. And uh, the Serpent's a single color, and it shows something about the character. It usually shows a close-up of the face of the character without the mask. It shows you something about their history and background. So throughout the podcast, we'll be referencing the Serpent. That's what we're talking about. Um, this is issue number XVI. If you're Roman numerally challenged, that is number 16. It is cover dated June 1986. It hit the shelves. Set your Wayback Machine to March 20th, 1986. Thanks to Mike's Amazing World of Comics for um, providing that date. I got to tell you, I'm really excited about this issue. Like, I was looking at the cover, and I was going through the names, and I just started counting. I'm like, wait a minute. There's no way. I counted, and over half of these characters, like, I feel actually really invested in. Like, some issues. What's that? Oh, boy. Well, yeah, like some comics, you know, yeah, we get one, and it's like, oh, yeah, like I, you know, I know who I know who everybody is, and I'm I'm kind of fans of like you know a few of these characters here and there, and yeah, whatever. I'm like really into a lot of these characters, so I'm excited. This is definitely uh, one of those issues where the in terms of big names is there are no big names. There's virtually no big names in this issue at all, and yet it it is one of the better ones of the series because of the art combos and some of the other things, but we'll get to all that in the next five hours. <laughs> well, when you say there's no big names, I'm going to take you to task there. Cause I would say there, there's no a listers. And by a listers, I mean, um, your silver yeah, age JLA. Yeah. That's usually what we mean. The yeah. satellite era JLA is what we consider the big, but 
Really, there's some really, really high-level B-listers. I mean, Monel, that's a big deal. The Monitor from Crisis, at least at this point in time, is a big deal. Negative Man, kind of a yeah. big deal. Yeah, <laughs> you're stretching it there. Multiplex. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh okay. Okay, fine, fine, whatever. All right, well, let's let's talk about the let's talk about the cover here. Um, gorgeous, gorgeous map. You know, I got a lot of notes on this. You tell me, what's your favorite thing on the cover? Uh, well, I mean, again, it's by Perez and Giordano, which is a great team, and Perez was always exceptionally good at making everybody interact in, in interesting ways. Uh, I sort of like the idea that um, you, the biggest villain you've got here is, of course, the Anti-Monitor, although here he's just called Monitor 2. Uh, but I love the fact that there's only a couple of heroes that are bothering to go after him, uh, which is Neptune Perkins and uh, Negative Woman. So, yeah, that'll yeah. solve it. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> This is the guy that was destroying the multiverse, but Neptune Perkins will take him down. That'll be no problem. Um, I think my favorite part of the whole thing is the fact that there are multiple multiplexes. I think that's a great nod to his powers. He is all over the place, peeking behind different people, doing different things. I think that that's a great touch. I, I want people to count how many there are and tell us. I know how many there are, but it's like where's I, Waldo, but more. Exactly. <laughs> now it's fair to say that the feature character on this cover is Monel. Sure. Uh, and he's there because of Legion of Superheroes. You know, Legion of Superheroes was one of their top-selling books at the time. He's a main character in that series. And uh, he, he's in the forefront. Oddly enough, I, the other sort of main character, I would say, is the Mother Box. Huh. Well, yeah, that's true. Okay, yeah, that's true. So, but that's it, though. There's no, yeah, no that, one else. That, really. That's it, yeah. Speaking of monitors, did you? I just noticed this while we're talking about it. Did you notice the monitor and the anti-monitor had the exact same pose? Yes, yes. That's really clever. And the Newsboy that, Legion is trying to sell Monitor on their newspaper, I guess. They're, no, they're not trying to sell him. Or they're showing they're trying him to the, share news with oh, him. Oh, they're sharing the headlines with him. Okay. Because remember, he, he's all about gathering information. That's, that's like, right. I, thought, I thought that was brilliant. That's, that's, one, right. of my, that's one, of my favorite, one of my favorite things on the cover, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, I love how Nightmaster is facing off against Morgan Le Fay. I just think that looks kind of cool. Mm-hmm. You, know, you got your two magic folks. You got Hegra in the foreground drinking a goblet. I mean, that's just creepy. Um, is she, I can't remember. Is she Darkseid's mother or Darkseid's wife? I think it's his mother. I think it's his mom. I think it's his mother, yeah. We'll yeah. find out. But, but you, got, and you, got, you mentioned Negative Man. But you actually have Negative Man and Negative Woman. Both have passed out. Uh, and, right. and the negative beings have left their bodies and are zooming around the cover, which makes it really striking with that dark, you know, mm-hmm. rich black. Yeah, nice and pop. It's really great. I like that Mr. Terrific is in the arms of Night Girl for no real good reason. Actually, I think, it, well, you know, it's funny. I saw her in the arms of him. Interesting. I wonder she, which way it she's is. She's flying, though. Oh, she's, that's a good he, point. She can't fly, so she's flying, so ergo she's uh, Interesting. And she's going to bring up an interesting discussion when we talk about the hottest legionnaire. She's, she's going to buck the trend. Um, Let's see, Misto, I dig, like, Misto the Magician, mm-hmm. he's, he's known for create, using smoke capsules to create mist. Well, Perez used that to excellent effect, where he's creating magic and there's all this mist coming out from underneath him, and it's pairing up with fog on the other side, and it just flows really, really well. Yeah, Very and also cool. Necron is hiding in there. You see the big exactly. skull Exactly. Exactly. Do you notice uh, Monsignor, uh, not Monsignor, Monsieur Malat, <laughs> I always do that, Monsieur Malat and, and Simeon are hanging out together? Yeah, that's that was... good. Yeah, well, you know, apes like to hang out with other apes. Yep. And then Diana has her foot up on the DC bullet. Yes, yes. So, now, all of that said, 
everything I like about it comes from the design of the cover. What do you think I'm going to say? You think the uh, inking looks a little rushed on the background characters. And what do you think when you look at this? I don't agree with that at all. I think it looks great. Really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Even the, the, the new bod character, him on next to Nebros? Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, what? Okay. Yeah, I think it right. looks great. <laughs> all right. Don't get me wrong. I love I loved Dick Giordano. You say that, and then every month. You, if I if I just need to pull out the Firestorm covers he did just to prove my love for him, I will. Okay. All right. All right. Love the man. So, all right. Um, all right. Well, let's let's get into the letters. Um, letters are kind of standard fare this time. There is the the standard who's who dick of the month. <laughs> yes, there is. Uh, the the kind the couple of things that just jumped out at me was you know someone brought up Lois Lane and Cluck Lore. Uh, or Clark, Clark, or whatever, <laughs> Kryptonian karate, and someone's got their panties in a wad because she doesn't know it anymore. And all right, get, get over it, man. But the interesting thing about this is, they say, um, without opening a can of worms, when you see the new Superman this summer, you'll understand a lot of things have changed. Uh, a lot of things we've taken for granted will have changed. One of them is Lois's former ability with Cluck lore. In the revised DC universe, you never learned the art, and we chose not to mention that fact. All will be made clear around July 4th. Ooh. Isn't that cool? I bet that was just, you know, little Michael Bailey probably lost his mind when he heard that. Um, I just, you know, it's kind of neat that they, I didn't realize they premiered the Man of Steel around July 4th. That's pretty cool. I like that. Then uh, there's a mention in here about how they're going to, um, do a Dr. Light entry in the Who's Who yearbook. Yeah, another thing that never happened. Exactly. I mean, it seems, it seems like every month there's something new in the letters page. Something to tease us with, yeah. Exactly. All will be seen in Who's Who and Firestorm coming out. Like, right. oh, man. Oh, me and us, sir. <laughs> so, um, also fair to mention the pronunciation guide, a glossary, does include uh, Mr. Mixie's tip and Mr. Mixie's pit uh, includes both of them. We struggled with that last Even month. Even though they were from last month. Yep. And you know who's not in here, which makes no sense to me? Monsieur Mala. <laughs> well, they figured any idiot knows how to say that correctly. Oh, you bastard. Is there a G there? There is not. Therefore, it's not Monsignor. Hate you so much. All right, folks. Uh, we're about to start going through the entries. Just so you know, uh, we're going to describe them. We're going to talk about them. And our goal is so that you don't have to have the comic in front of you. However... Uh, if you'd like to see some of the entries, we're going to post about mm, 10 to 15 of them on our Tumblr. Rob, can you tell them where to find that? Fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com. Awesome. So go out there and check it out. And uh, by the time this goes up, those will be uh, out on Tumblr. And we'll decide which ones uh, make the cut here tonight while we're recording. Dun, dun. All right. First entry, Mr. Terrific, Mr. Terry Sloan himself. Drawn by Stephen DiStefano and Romeo Tengal. Uh, so, before we even start, this was Stephen DiStefano's number one requested character to draw in Who's Who. Really? Yes. When I asked him about the Little Blue Boys from a couple of months ago, yeah. uh, he mentioned that this was – Little Blue Boys was his second uh, – like of the list he submitted to DC of the characters he personally wanted to do. The Little Blue Boys were number two. Mr. Terrific was number one. How interesting. And, and I, they honored it. He got to do it. I wonder why. Uh, they, he didn't get into that. I always assume he just is a sort of, Mr. Terrific has that sort of similar mentality to Amazing Man in, in kind of some ways in terms of the innocence. So it wouldn't shock me that uh, he loves this character. 
Well, the, the drawing is Mr. And Mr. Terrific, if you're not familiar with him, is a Golden Age character who um, was around in the 40s and part of the JSA and ran some independent adventures. But then um, he disappeared like all the rest of the Golden Age superheroes and came back in the resurrection of the JSA and died in was the late 70s, early 80s in JLA. Yep. And so he doesn't have a lot of modern-day adventures. So primarily he's remembered for his Golden Age era. And this, this drawing by DiStefano really is trying to emulate this Golden Age look. I mean, it looks like a Golden Age drawing to me. Um, and it doesn't look like one of DiStefano's typical drawings. I mean, if you look in the background, that face of Terry Sloan looks very superhero comic book look. That does not look like his Amazing Man work or anything like that. So he did a really good job trying to emulate that Golden Age look here. Um, a couple of things worth mentioning, like um, the font on Mr. Terrific, that's got to be the old school font because it's just a little too generic, you know? Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I'd have to go and research that, but that would be interesting. I, I, yeah, it is sort of 40s-ish looking. Yeah. I love his belt. and his, He's got a great chunky belt and he's got these huge pectoral muscles. He is now, beefy. This guy is – there's no yeah. way he's 175 pounds. No way. <laughs> Now, what Mr. Terrific is known for most is his slogan, and his slogan is fair play. Not only is he holding a, a banner sort of um, almost like a pennant that says fair play, it's also emblazoned across his sort of uh, chestular region. Uh, I don't know. What is it? Below his stomach, the – His stomach. It's across his stomach. I guess. Yeah. Well, it's sort of a – it's above – anyway. Uh, it, it, it's cute because he's wearing like a green sort of tunic. And he's got a yellow inset that says "Fair Play" with little curtains, like the curtains have been raised at a movie, at, you know, at a, at a at a theater, like a play. <laughs> it says "Fair Play" underneath. Cracks me up. So if you don't know about Terry Sloan, the the deal is that um, he's a, he's a genius. He, he finished college by age twelve. Uh, he got bored. He was sort of depressed, and he ended up getting uh, involved in superheroics by taking down a gangster named Big Shot. He came to love this. He came to love being a superhero. He was a master of all skills. That was his thing. He didn't really have any superpowers, but he was a master of every skill, which was really in the right hands and the right writer is amazing. And uh, it, it, was, it was fun. Now, he, he was killed by the Spirit King in a Justice League issue that we don't want to talk about much here because there's a lot to say about that comic. But <laughs> um, I, I've always been fascinated by this character because he was like the JSA member that disappeared, so I didn't get to see him you know, in the 90s revivals. So I always liked learning more about him. Jeff Johns did an amazing story with him when they were leading up to the on, to JSA ongoing where he was doing like an emergency tracheotomy in an alley to save somebody and at the same time fighting off bad guys. I mean, it's just really, really cool stuff. Neat character. In terms of uh, historic appearances, his first appearance is Sensation Comics number one, which is, of course, not Wonder Woman's first appearance, but pretty close. So it's like, you know, like it's a character. He's sort of like Zatara, who first appeared also in Action Comics number one. You know, he's running back up to the much more famous lead feature. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, um, makes for an, it, it, and he really, it's interesting. I, I wonder whether it's the fair play slogan that kept him from catching on, you know, again, being blazoned across his stomach, or or, or maybe his stories just didn't take. But, yeah, he, he was the guy that almost did, almost made it. So I think if they had brought him back in the same way, I know there is a, you know, there is a new Mr. Terrific, but if they had brought this guy back in the same way for now, he would, I guess, have like a giant, foam finger that said fair play wouldn't have <laughs> well the, the current mr terrific wears a jacket and it's emblazoned along the sleeves of the jacket oh is it oh right well that's right that's right that's yeah right. yeah, yeah. So it, he, he still says fair play but it, you know he looks cooler and hipper so. wow that's what i'm saying if they were trying to just not bother to update him i i like the fact that they kind of kept him square i think that was sort of charming they didn't bother yeah. to update him 
You should have anyway. Yeah. Now, quick art comments. You know, I, again, I mentioned I really like that drawing of him in the in the background with him with his mask off or with the, with the tuxedo, and the little kid, the little gang of um, hooligans that help him, and then finally the spirit king holding his body, which is kind of creepy. So neat, neat art yep. piece. Yep. All right. Next up is Mon L. Speaking by of Steve Lytle. Speaking of neat art pieces. Yeah, this thing's gorgeous. You've got Monel in the foreground flying at you, and in the background, in the serpent, you've got a. Um, now he's he's not wearing a mask anyway, so they didn't have to make a big deal about that. In the background, though, you have him with his mask off. You have another shot of his girlfriend, uh, Shadow Lass. Oh gosh, I hope I'm getting that right. Yeah, okay, Shadow Lass. And then uh, you have a little inset of Monel, Superboy, and Ultra Boy together because they're all kind of the same character, really. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> now, see, now, it's funny you say that, because I asked uh, Steve Lytle about this piece, because I was curious as to... I mean, he didn't draw every Legion entry, so I always wonder, like, why this one over the, any other one? And he said that he specifically requested to do on L, because he is a big fan of the character, and he... Uh, I'm not going to get into the details in case he didn't necessarily want me to, but he wrote his own story... That would sort of like set Monel further apart from Superboy because he always believed that Monel had a lot more than was just sort of a Superboy clone. So he specifically asked to do this entry, and DC gave it to him. Oh, cool! Yeah. And he did a great go- job. It's gorgeous. It is a really, really nice piece. the The logo is bold. You know, Monel. I love his sort of. Dis- he looks like you know a strange visitor from another world. He, he's got that sort of disinterested Clark Kent. Or I mean. Um, what am I trusting? Christopher Reeve almost look on his face of determined superhero flying through space kind of thing. You know, it just, I love it. It looks really good. The design, really, really is, nice. the design is gorgeous too. I love the, the, the square, you know, star pattern, but then it ends, uh, on the, on the left-hand side of the page. It doesn't go all the way to the left. It stops a little, which is just a nice little break with the circular pattern behind the other three heroes. It's a, it's a beautifully drawn, beautifully designed and shadow last looks super gorgeous. Yeah, she's she's way hot, and also you get a nice shot of his a close up of his eye, and you can see the stars in his eyes. Very nice. So he's a jukebox hero right there. <laughs> um, now some of the stuff about Monel, if you, if you're not familiar, terribly familiar with Monel, basically he, he's from a planet called Daxum, which is very similar to Krypton, and when he it's a little complicated, but all right, he left Daxum, ended up on Krypton, met Jor El, and then left Krypton. And headed for Earth. There, when he gets to Earth, he crashes, he has amnesia, he meets Superboy. Superboy thinks that he must be Kryptonian, because he looks like Kryptonian. He's, I think he has a letter from Jor-El, if I remember <laughs> right. I mean, I'm not making this up. A certificate it, it, of authenticity. Right. <laughs> and uh, so he has amnesia. So Superman, or Superboy convinces himself that Monel or Largan, whatever you want to call him, is his brother, his long-lost brother from Krypton. And so he names him Mon-El, Mon as in Monday, and L as in his family name. So he becomes Mon-El. That's where the name comes from. I'm not making this up. I know you're not and, making it up. <laughs> well, some people are like, no, that can't be right. Anyway, so eventually he, they, they figure out the truth that, um, you know, for example, kryptonite doesn't affect him, but lead does. So he gets very, very sick. He gets a lethal dose of lead poisoning. And if you read a lot of the history, uh, you know, Superboy kind of caused that. But anyway, um, to save him, they put him in the Phantom Zone so that they can wait to find a cure for lead poisoning. Well, they don't find one for a thousand years. Brainiac 5 pulls him out of the Phantom Zone, gives him the cure, and then Monel joins the Legion of Superheroes. So it's it's sort of a tragic story in that he spent a thousand years in 
uh, just in limbo in the Phantom Zone. But, you know, you get this great hero for the 30th century. Now, here's some of the weird stuff. I did some research on this. Um, like, I, I'd always heard the story that he got lead poisoning and they stuck him in there and they pulled him out in the Legion times. Well, I always wondered, like, was that in one story that happened later? Well, sure enough, it was more than a year of publishing that he was stuck in the Phantom Zone. It was like Superboy met him, stuck him in the Phantom Zone. Monel popped out once or twice for adventures. And then it was like, again, like a, year, a, little, a little more than a year later when they pulled him out in the Legion. So I guess when they stuck him in the Phantom Zone, they really didn't know how they were going to resolve that at that time. They didn't know he was going to be a Legion character. So that's kind of an interesting historical aspect to mm. it. There's also some uh, interesting uh, language in here. Like it says the Daxamites came from the same seed stock as the Kryptonians. I thought that was kind of interesting. So maybe someone seeded the planets. I don't know if that's hinting at that. And um, apparently mon also invented Element 152, which is the element which allowed the flight rings to uh, – anti-gravity flight rings. Look at that. Now, here, here's some of the more interesting stuff. Turns out that – again, in my research, I found out that this story that appeared in Superboy, number one, or Superboy 89 is actually just a retelling of a previous story. There was a story prior to this where Superman – Met an alien from another planet. Very similar story. Guy came, stopped, you know, guy came, landed on Earth, had amnesia, had the same powers as Superman. It was exactly the same story. It just was a slightly different planet, and a slightly different name, but it was almost identically the same story as what happened here with Monel. Well, I don't know how long it was, five, ten years later, whatever. The writers of DC decided, well, you know what? The kids have turned over. The readers who read that story have turned over. We can just repurpose this same story. And, you know, do new art and keep a lot of the same aspects of the story and no one will know the difference. So really, this, this is the second time the story got told. So they changed it. And, you know, he became Monel instead of whatever he was called before. And uh, it was Daxum instead of some other planet. So how very interesting that this has happened before. Wow. And did you know this? I never noticed this. Monel's costume, you notice anything about it? Uh, no. It's exactly the opposite colors of Superman. Oh, well, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you look at it, yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't know that. I mean, he's got... The red top instead of blue. He's got a blue cape instead of red. He's got blue boots instead of red. He's got red pants instead of blue. And I never noticed he's got trunks on. Yes, he's yes even, he does. He's even got trunks that are blue instead of red. So it, it's sort of totally, you know, slap in the forehead. I should have totally seen that, especially after James Robinson's run where his costume was purposely inverted from Superman's. But I never picked up on it. So there you go. I didn't, uh, re- as we all know, I hated the Legion as a kid, and I still do. But uh, so I didn't read, <laughs> I didn't read much of it. But I did remember the whole angle of him being trapped in the Phantom Zone with yeah. the other villains, and that always terrified me as a kid because it was like the one good guy in a a uh, a prison, a uh, unsupervised prison of bad guys. That just sounded, yeah. sounded terrifying to me. I mean, there could be a whole series of adventures, like a, a almost like a, 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 so a sword and sandal. Of, Series of stories there uh, in the Phantom Zone of Monel fighting his way against all the evil Kryptonians and stuff like that. You know, fighting Zod and everything. Ooh, oh, that's just crazy. So scary because you can't ever get out. So like, what right? You, you know, you're like, stuck in a world he never made. So, um, Monel's also suffered many, many retcons over the years, from meeting Superboy in a pocket universe to Monel's been changed to M apostrophe. I mean, just a lot of different changes. Um, I actually don't even know what the status of the character is right now because Legion. You know, Legion's not being published right now. No, I guess not. It's canceled, right? The, 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 right, but know. I mean, just let that sink in for a minute. There's no Legion title anymore. That's crazy. After 40, 50 years of Legion, just stopped. Oh, just not right. So, I blame you, Rob. 
Anyway. All right, next character. Moving on to Mongol by Jim Starlin. Mongol, if you're not familiar with the character, shame on you. Giant guy, enormous purple clothes and yellow skin. Um, giant bruiser, warlord, tyrant sort of character. I'm, I'm going to suggest here that uh, Mongol work in more legwork in his routine. <laughs> he's clearly concentrating much too much on the upper body, and he's got, you know, it's just a suggestion. He is roid monstering it. There's no doubt about that. Absolutely. Uh, Mongol, you know, he, he, I'm sure you've known him from the animated series. I'm sure you know him from uh, Death of Superman and uh, the... What do you get for the man who has everything? Thank you. I couldn't come up with the title. Um, he's, he's been in a million things. He, he, giant alien tyrant conqueror guy. Um, not a very pleasant dude, but uh, art again by Jim Starlin. I had to look this up. I, did you know why Jim Starlin drew this? Why? Yeah. Why Jim Starlin had this entry. No. Oh well, he drew he drew the first, he drew the first appearance of Mongol in DC number twenty seven. You are absolutely correct. DC yeah. Comics number twenty seven. Yeah. He drew that. I did not know that. Yeah. So the Superman Green Lantern issue, I believe. Yep. Now I noticed that there's a there's an error actually in this printing. It says here that um, he, Mongol kidnapped some people in order to coerce Superman to work for him because he needed Superman's help in getting this crystal key thing. And it says Mongol kidnapped three of Superman's closest friends. Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen, and Steve Lombard. What? No, not Steve Lombard. So I'm just thinking Superman would be like, well, I saved two out of three. That's not that, right? <laughs> You're going to lose a few on missions like this. Right. It's bound to happen. Steve's like, no, I'm ready to go. Oh, bye, Steve. We got to go. Anyway, um, you know, his first appearance was a DC Comics presents with Superman and Martian Manhunter. You don't see a lot of Martian Manhunter in Who's Who. Probably a good thing. But anyway, Ooh. so... He, <laughs> that was a dig for Frank. That sure was. Uh, in, in the background, you actually in the serpent, you actually see uh, Mongol pasting Martian Manhunter, <laughs> Superman's back there, and then you see the Black Mercy, uh, which again Rob referenced the story. They also adapted a, one of the better episodes of Justice League uh, with the same the Black Mercy, um, the man who has everything. Is that how? Is that well, how I think it, it, I thought of the thing. What do you get for the man who has everything? I think could that's be. What it was. That's probably what it is. Yep. It's by Alan so. Moore and Dave Gibbons. Yeah, I mean, and you're familiar with the story. I'm sure you are, folks. You are, whether you know it or not. Also, there's references in here to Starman. Uh, so there's a, there's a lot of neat history in here. Mongol's an interesting character. You know, at one point he died, and they replaced him with Mongal. And, yeah, I know. And then Mongol had a son. I mean, there's a lot a lot of stuff. Hi, happening. I'm Mongal. All right, stop it, stop it. <laughs> She wasn't quite like that at oh, all. Okay. No, she was not a It was like that person. awful female job of the hut in Phantom Menace. Oh, oh I'm going to get sick. <laughs> <laughs> really? You had to bring that yeah, up? Misa, I enjoy it so much. Uh, the one, th oh. one of the things I've realized about Mongol is Mongol, I think, is the villain you use if you don't want to use Darkseid. Because Darkseid <laughs> Dark Dark comes with all that new gods baggage. Yeah. And if you don't want to get into that, but you need big, bad, powerful, interstellar muscle guy who, yeah. who is also a super genius and has all kinds of powers, I think you get Mongol. You know? that, that, that's a very fair assessment. Yeah, yeah. I don't mean yeah. it as a knock on the character. I just mean it's like Darkseid. If you work Darkseid in, you eventually feel like you got to work in Mantis, you know, and everybody. Here, Mongol just is sort of self-contained. I'm not sure many people feel they need to work in Mantis. You, well, maybe maybe Desaad, not Mantis. The boom tube. It's got to be like a giant yeah. plot. You know what I mean? Like nobody just fights Darkseid. It's got to be an invasion of the blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Mongol is just, you know, he just shows up and does his business. 
Well, he either he either shows up and does his business, or he's responsible for any alien invasion, and it doesn't really matter why. It's like, yeah, it, yeah. you don't need to make a big deal. Like, you, just, you just need aliens invading. Who cares why? I just right. want the fight. Right, right. So he was good with, uh, again, Death of Superman. He was good with uh, War World, all that stuff. So it, they, they really did a good job with him in post-crisis. They really did. Next up is the biggest lie of the book. Um, <laughs> Monitor 1 and 2. I call bullshit. Yeah. Sorry. What happened here is who, Who's Who number 1 came out the same month as Crisis number 1. Or no, I'm sorry, the month before Crisis number 1. So they couldn't fit Anti-Manitor in that issue because he hadn't even been introduced yet. So here they just bold malarkey it and call him Monitor 2, Electric Boogaloo, and no, no, sir, refuse to accept that. Now, with that said, you get a gorgeous art piece by George Perez. Sure. It's a two-page spread. It's the first two-page spread of the book. Um, on the left-hand side, you get the Monitor. On the right-hand side, you get the Anti-Monitor, as he looked in the final issue of, of Crisis, and he's got sort of a shadowy sense over him, almost a ghostly image of him... When his first cut, first design, was, I don't know if you remember, but during Crisis, he actually changed looks yeah, halfway th- yeah. Yeah, through the book. And then in the Serpent, you've got this nice shot of um, Quard and the, the Monitor's world. You've got the two Monitors raging against each other, and then you've got close-ups of their face. It's a very, very nice art piece. A lot to read. Did you read it? Uh, no. God! You know... We have you had like two months to prepare for this episode. <laughs> why is this not? Why do I have to read it to feel prepared? I read Crisis. I I don't understand. We're not reviewing Crisis. We're reviewing. Right, who's but who. I'm saying I know this history. I don't understand. Why do I need to I, read every? You know. I don't. I don't like you very much right now. But I will say that this recap of Crisis is exceptionally well written. This is a like if you want to know what Crisis is about is about. Forget everything else. For God's sakes, don't read the novel by Marv Wolfman because it's a train wreck. Don't read the Wikipedia page. Read this. This is that good. It gives you a high-level explanation of what happened during the crisis, why it happened, without getting bogged down in the Superman of Earth-1, the Superman of Earth-2, Blue Beetles from Earth-C. You, know, you don't get caught up in that. It's just telling you at a high level what happened and why it happened. And it's really, really well done. Like I, I read it, and I just I was on the edge of my seat, and I knew the whole story backwards and forwards. I was like, "This is really good recap." I was going to call it succinct till you said there's a lot of words because you're you're right, there's a lot of words, but it's well done, exceptionally well done. So you should go read it, all of you. In fact, this is gonna this is gonna be on the Tumblr. There it is. I put it out there. Oh boy. Can't stop. Okay. I have to write that down there. I'll forget. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Next up is look out the monocle. <laughs> Has anyone ever said that before? No, never, never, ever. Um, I'm sorry. I, I get that he's a legit villain. He just looks silly to me. He's he's an older man, probably in his late fifties, and he's wearing a, a fancy dress sort of tuxedo thing with a giant cape with a giant, you know, Martian Manhunter collar, and he's got a must, big burly mustache and a monocle. I would expect him to talk like this. He probably, no says, he probably says, why I never a lot. Why I never. <laughs> well, art is by Steve Irwin, um, Crocodile Hunter, and Carl Kiesel. And uh, it's, it's an interesting story, actually. The gist of it, this, this poor guy, he, he's a genius, right? And this is Golden Age, by the way. He's a genius who ran an optical store and sort of started, of course he did, and started focusing on radiation and things like that and what it can do. <laughs> 
Anyway, because <laughs> those two things are totally, you know, yeah. You run a mon- right. you run a glass, uh, glasses, don't you start worrying about radioactivity? Was, yeah. So we're reading a comic about superheroes, and you're going to draw the line at somebody who experiments in an optician store. Okay, I see. I see. You've got I'm your not drawing the up. line. I just feel as though <laughs> those two fields don't ever overlap. <laughs> well, he. Um, I feel bad for the guy. He he has a, he happens to own his shop on like this valuable piece of land, and the bank is in trouble. And so they screw him over. They fake a bunch of stuff and make it look like he didn't pay his loans and foreclose on his ha- on his business. And, he go- and they steal it from him. Damn Goldman Sachs! So he goes and kills him. <laughs> Good kills for most- him. Right. <laughs> wait a minute, John. Wait a minute. The monocle killed a bunch of bankers. He's a hero. Wait a minute. What are we talking I know, about right. here? Exactly. <laughs> the ninety nine percent love this guy. This is great. <laughs> Anyway, it's so, um, and, and he, he fights Golden Age Hawkman and Hawkwoman, or Hawkgirl, which is pretty cool. And eventually he, um, you know, he plagues the JSA and Infinity Inc., Infinity Inc. and all them. And his shtick, originally he's just holding, uh, his weapons, and he's called a monocle because he wears one, but eventually he incorporates them into his monocle. Good idea. And, Right. I mean, if you're going to go with the name, I mean, you, you go big or go home. <laughs> anyway, I, I do love seeing, like, in the Serpent, there's this great shot of him melting, like, it looks like a bank vault with his monocle. And he's, you know, he's got his hand up to it and everything, like, and the, and the cop's got his hands like, oh, as if, like, the heat's excruciating. Meanwhile, uh, Hawkwoman's taking him down, or Hawkgirl's taking him down in a shot, and he's zapping Hawkman. And the, the Serpent's really nice, actually, because you get Hawkman, Hawkgirl, Bank vault, you know, it's it's, and you get the close up of his face with the monocle on. It's really nice, and the crocodile hunter did an exceptional job on this. You know, proving that uh, anyone can be made cool if they're done right. He was one of the villains in the JLA JSA Secret Society Super Villains three parter from JLA one ninety five to one ninety seven. Yeah, he is really cool in that story. I really like him. I the first time I ever saw him when I read those stories, I was like. This guy sounds cool. He looks cool. It was drawn by George Perez. So there you go. Well, okay. But it was it was like you know I actually thought he seemed like a perfectly cool villain. You know he he seems a bit like a Mort here, but uh, no, I liked him a lot in in that three parter. Yeah, I like it. His logo, the O in monocles, as a monocle. <laughs> That's what's on his business card, I'm sure. Right. It looks cool. So um, I mean, it was kind of interesting. I mean, Steve Steve Irwin, this was some of his first artwork for DC. After this, he went on to um, draw Checkmate and Deathstroke, which I didn't realize. And uh, that was really probably before he got into the zoological business. So it's good stuff. Just working that joke into the ground. I am. I'm not going to let it go. <laughs> uh, well, you didn't pull out any magical stories to contradict me, so I kept going with it. Next up is uh, Monsignor. <laughs> Just kidding. Monsieur. Monsieur Mala. Uh, again, why it's not in the pronunciation guide, I don't understand. As a kid, I had, obviously I struggled pronouncing it as a kid, and if it had been the pronunciation guide, I wouldn't have got it wrong all these years. So I'm just saying. Thank God he's not called Monsieur Mallow the nuclear man. Exactly. Exactly. And then they, they got to get an artist named Bill Sinkowitz to do it. Sinkavage. I know that. It was I another know. joke yes. about mispronouncing. Yes. Um, this is sort of a nice paired piece because Bill Sinkavage also drew the brain, if I remember right, didn't he? Yes. So, uh, Monsieur Mala and I almost said it wrong again. Monsieur Mala and the Brain are, are a duo. Now, here's the thing I always forget about Monsieur Mala: is he's this giant. If you don't know him, he's a giant gorilla. I mean, huge freaking gorilla. And in this shot, he's got the Rambo um, <laughs> headband. Such a great drawing. He's got. If you know Bill Sinkiewicz, you know it's out there. It's nuts. So anyway, he's got it. the Rambo headband. He's got bandoliers of bullets, and he's holding this enormous freaking gun. And then the serpent 
is pictures of him. I assume I don't know. The, the, the top shot is him just with his the little Rambo yeah, thing. Yeah. yeah. Then you get him holding the brain's brain in his surgical scrubs. <laughs> then you get him throwing the chief in his wheelchair. I love that panel. It's, and then he's smacking down. It looks like Starfire. Starfire. Yeah. Yeah. So anybody who smacks around Starfire is fine with me. Cause I hate oh that my character. god. Oh. Not be, no, not like beating her because she's a woman. I just don't like the character. So. Oh well, that and, makes it better then. I like the close-up thing though because it's. Sinkevich is taking the time to like draw a little shout-out box almost. Like it's around Monsieur's face, and there's a little dotted line leading to the close-up. Yeah, I know. You know. It's great. This is like probably my favorite piece in the book. It's just, really? <laughs> yeah, it's just cra- it's perfectly Sinkevich, but ma- married to this goofy character. It's just great. Yeah. It just makes me and him him throwing the chief at full force. It just makes <laughs> me laugh. Like that is just like classic physical comedy. Well, it is. It does look like physical because kind of, the chief. I just envision him going like. Well, he's, that's the thing. The chief doesn't even look like he's that upset. He's just yeah, he's not he's waving not. his arms or anything. He's just kind of yeah. like, oh boy, all right. Reminds me of Waterboy. There's just anyway. It's <laughs> flying away. <laughs> now, the thing I always forget about Monsieur Mellot, which I started to say a minute ago, is that he's a genius. He is a friggin' genius. And I always forget that. I always know he is intelligent, can talk, but genius level? So what happened was the brain, before he was just a brain, he was a dude. No one knows who. So he was just a dude. And he performed these experiments on this on this um, gorilla and it heightened his intelligence to 178, which is almost as smart as me and Rob put together. And then he, when he died, he had the ape remove his brain and put it in a jar. So the brain and Monsieur Malat really are a duo. I mean, more so than I realized. And together they, you know, part of the Brotherhood of Evil, and they followed it through most of the incarnations, and um, and he fights, you know, the Teen Titans a lot. Now, so. the one, thing, one thing I don't understand here, it says we've got a group just, of... Group, just one thing? Well, about this listening. Group Affiliation, Brotherhood of Evil, Base of Operations, formerly La, La, La Cole, somewhere, France, Paris, France. Uh, he's got all these... But marital status, inapplicable. Now, why? Now, wait a minute. He has a base of operations and a group affiliation and an occupation, but he can't have marital status? I don't understand that. Why can't he be marital status? Well, marital status is a legal pl- sense of being, though. And right, but he has a base of operations. He's That's a gorilla. A- he has no rights, by, according to the law. Uh, he, he can be part of a group, but he can't be married? Yeah. All right. Because a group is an informal agreement, whereas oh, marriage is a right. legal well, document. That's true. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now, if... Later well, now writers. it all makes sense for me. Now this listing is completely error-free for me. So thank you. <laughs> if, uh, if later writers are to be believed, uh, it would say, you know, marital status, implicable, inapplicable, however, in an uh, ongoing committed relationship with the brain. Yeah, so, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, all right. Next up is Mordru. Um, you know, i got to say, Mordru is a bit of a disappointment because he, he really he's just a copy. You realize that, right? What do you mean he's just a copy? He's just a copy. He's from the planet Xerox. Uh, Thanks for that. All right. Art by Pat Broderick. If you're not familiar with Mordrew, he is the big-time Legion of Superheroes villain. At least, at least I would He says a lot about the Legion of Superheroes. Oh, jeez. <laughs> all right. Maybe – I mean there's other people who say Universo is and the Dominators. Okay. So he's one of the main baddies of the Legion of Superheroes. Um, again, drawn by Pat Broderick, who used to draw Legion of Superheroes. This dude comes in at seven foot six. Big Crazy. dude. Big not, dude. Not a small dude. He's standing upon um, Pride Rock, shouting at sort of like in the stormy heavens, Rah! 
And then the serpent is this great shot, close-up of his face. You've got Darkseid shooting his Omega beams at Mordru. You've got him flying through the air, blasting Monel. Um, you've got you know Superboy burying him in a cave of rocks, I mean, or a pit of rocks. It's just it's really impressive artwork. Broderick really went to town on that serpent. I'm really impressed with this one. Now, there's a, a piece of trivia about Mordru, uh, which that, makes him... That he's, that he's wearing Aquaman's belt? That he is wearing Aquaman's belt. That uh, makes him unique in this entire issue of Who's Who. Do you have any idea what makes him unique? Other than the fact he's 7'6". Um, well, it's not in the text here. No, it has nothing to do with it's. No, it has nothing to do with uh, him as a character in a story. Oh, okay. Uh, makes him unique. He's na- uh, no, I don't know. Okay, he is the only character I believe in this entire book that has appeared in live action. Oh God! <laughs> he was in that terrible. Uh, yes, super- he was the, <laughs> the the superhero, the channel uh, legend, no. legends of the superheroes. Legends. NBC special, he was uh, portrayed in live action for some ungodly reason. He was picked as a character to be in that book. But this is the, he's the only character in this entire book that was transferred into live action. Now, maybe I'm wrong on the New Gods section. There's maybe, maybe one of the New Gods was put into the Smallville episode or something. But I think, I'm pretty confident to say Mordru was the only guy to appear in live action. So he's a big dude. And unfortunately, if I remember right, they were pretty faithful to his costume, too. Yes, it's a complete and utter disaster, and it's ridiculous, <laughs> but that was the point, so. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Now, uh, Mordru is a very, very powerful uh, wizard and uses his magic powers. And, and it even says in here, I like how they acknowledge in here, that the Legion is not powerful enough to beat him. They, they straight up say that. They say that they usually defeat Mordru through their own ingenuity. Which I thought was, you know, it was kind of a fair cop. It's like, okay, you know what? You, you show the respect for the power level he's at. That's good. Now, tell me, correct me if I'm wrong here. Wasn't there a story in JLA, it was a crossover between Legion and JLA, if I remember right? Yeah. Where we found out more Drews actually from modern day uh, and was buried until, or something, to do, or I, may, maybe buried in Gem World or something? I don't, I don't remember. I don't remember that. All right. Well, I seem to remember there was something about him being in present day and just being buried in Sorcerer's World or something until the 30th century. So maybe someone can write in and tell me and say, no, Shag, you're crazy, or yes, Shag, you're right. So whichever one. I don't know. So, neat character, though. If you're a Legion fan, you definitely got to know your Mordru. Uh, kind of a- just before we get off this, though, uh, Mordru was played in the Legends of Superheroes oh, special by an actor named Gabriel Dell, who was born in 1919. He had one more credit after playing Mordrew, and then he died. So we can safely say that playing Mordrew probably put him in an early grave. (laughs) You sick freak. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Up next is Morgan Le Fay by Brian Bolland. Yeah. Is it Boland or Bolland? I, I don't know. I say, I'd say, I've said Boland all my life. And ever since we started the show, I thought I heard you say Bolland. So I've been trying to say Bolland. I, I think when I've heard people say it to me, they've said it as Bolland. Okay. Um, Bolland is really trying to evoke... By the way, this is the Morgan Le Fay that appeared in the Demon comic, right. to be specific. The first appearance is Demon number one. Yep. And so Bolland re- is really trying to emulate the Jack Kirby sense here, especially when she's in her get-up uh, in the front where she's got yeah. this wild um, suit of orange, and it's got a huge green and orange headdress. It looks very... Uh, I don't know, uh, ancient mystic sort of looking. And then in the in the Serpent, you've got a close-up of her hair, you've got a close-up of her fighting the demon, a close-up of her as an Egyptian princess, and then fighting um, Merlin. And i got to tell you, 
he did an incredible job evoking Kirby at the same time drawing her smoking hot. Yeah, that's a great listing. That bottom right picture, her fighting the demon, I mean, I can't take my eyes off her. She is <laughs> really sexy in that. Brian Bolland was uh, physically incapable of drawing unattractive women. <laughs> Man. Couldn't, couldn't do it. Now, there's actually a, uh, a misprint on the cover, interestingly enough. Because I, I was trying to do some research on her. I was using the front index, to, and I couldn't find anything on her. turns out they spelled Fay wrong on the cover. They spelled F-A-Y instead of on the inside as it's F-E-Y. So. Brenda Pope, why have you forsaken us? I know, I tell you. Now, here's the part that sort of blew my mind when I started doing the research. Brian Bolin is, especially at this point in time, best known for drawing what? Well, at this point, Camelot 3000. And what character is in Camelot 3000? Morgan Le Fay. Not this version. No, not this version. As so which they point out. Yeah, they even pointed out. So, which you would have known if you read the answer. But it's interesting to I me. <laughs> it's interesting to me that they got Brian Bolin, who's associated with the character, in a different iteration to do the drawing. Mm-hmm. You, you think they would purposely avoid him for that part, for that sense. But eh, what the hell? <laughs> maybe, he a, maybe he asked for it. I don't know. Yeah, maybe so. so. And they compare her to Dr. Fate in here, which is in, in, impressive because they're both, uh, you know, powerful mages. And there's a lot of talk about Merlin and the demon. So. They talk about a story where she fought Man-Bat. I don't know what that story is. I want to read that, though. I think it's a power record. So. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next up, um, I don't know how to say this. Morphia, maybe. Oh, you know, is it is it in the pronunciation guide? Let's find out. And survey says yes. Morphia. Ooh, look at that! I nailed it. All right, yay me. Morphia is a character from Atari Force. We haven't seen one of those in a while, have we? No. Art by Kara Sherman Torino and Bob Smith, and uh, it's very very beautiful uh, artwork. Yeah. Morphia is sort of an insectoid alien, a green insectoid alien. Uh, I'm assuming insectoid. Maybe it's not, but it looks like a cricket to me. Anyway, she's very, very skinny, very, very um, tall, and she's got a beautiful blue outfit with a pink cape. And it's, it's, if you read her entry, it's really well written. I mean, it's really, really well written, and you really get a sense for her character. She uh, sort of has some telepathic kind of powers. She's an empath, I should say, and she experiences other people's emotions. She became very close to the leader of the Atari Force, the elder Martin Champion, and um, it's it's a nice, nice entry. And in this background, you get her close-up of her face. You get her blasting a bad guy with her mental powers. You get her sort of consoling um, Martin Champion, and then you get her hanging out with... Um, uh, what's that big guy's name? Um, I can't remember his name. The big, big, big blue dude. The elephant kind of dude from Atari Babe. Forge. Babe, right. So, what do you think of this one? That's nice. It's a nice drawing. Uh, I was I was curious about Kara Sherman Terreno because I was completely unfamiliar with her. Um, you know, I never heard of her before this. And I looked her up, and she actually went to the Cuber School. Yes, she did. I didn't know that. Um, and she basically came to DC Comics from doing independent work which she did before and after this brief tenure here at D.C., and unfortunately she is no longer with us. She passed away in 1996. Uh, I believe this is the only piece she did for, for the for Who's Who. I think it is. Uh, she died at the young age of 44. Yeah, very, very sad. Young, very I, I, did the, I did the same research you did. I was in the exact same situation. I was like, who is this person? Yeah, who, art, yeah. art, this art is gorgeous. Why have I not heard of this person? Yeah. Now, she did draw some issues of Aaron. So, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, she was one of the few women at the time working in mainstream comics. So good, good on her. 
So it's definitely worth looking at this piece, folks. Um, it's really, really beautiful. And again, the entry, it just it reads so nicely. It tells a really nice story about how she grows up on her planet and her relationship with her mother and how she leaves and ends up with Atari Force. And it's just sometimes like I've talked about this in a, few, a couple past episodes. Sometimes you read a who's who's entry and it's just facts. Other times you read a who's who entry and you really get a sense for the character and who they are. And this is one of those. Yep. So, and those, those are always my favorite. Those are the ones that are the best done. All right. Up next is Mother Box, written by, or drawn by Jack Kirby and Mike Royer. Um, <laughs> this, this entry always blew my mind as a kid. The whole thing where Orion holds the Mother Box in front of his face, where he's, he looks all crazy, like uh, crazy hair and crazy mono eyebrow, and then he mother box changes his face into somebody handsome. It's like, I don't know. It always disturbed me as a kid. <laughs> I don't know whether it's because I felt like, you know, it was this monster disguised as an, as a normal looking person or that he was so vain that he had to use his powers to make himself look better. I don't know. But a mother box is, is a device used by the new gods and new Genesis really specifically. Essentially it's a catch all device. To, it's for whatever the writer needs at the time. My best description of it would be it's half sonic screwdriver Half utility belt. Uh, <laughs> With a little bit of uh, iPhone mixed in. Yeah, right. It's got apps. I need the BoomTube app. Boop. I listen to all my podcasts on my mother box. You can listen to this podcast on a mother box, by the way. Exactly. Damn, the Wi-Fi's down. Uh, anyway, so, I don't know who the dude is down below that's doing something to his arm there. It's almost like he's a robot. Is that what that guy is? I have no idea. Somebody keeps his mother box on his shoulder. And then uh, there's one with the mother box is just floating over the forever people, so no one really cares. But um, <laughs> it's it, it, it's just it – really, it, it really is. It comes down to just being a catch-all device. It's just whatever the writer needs in that scene, the mother box can do. Is this so. the only piece of gear that gets a who's who listening? Uh, no, Batman's utility belt did. Uh, you're right. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. Okay. Take it back. I was racking my brain. I was like, oh, what other thing? Like magic, magic lasso, you know, like none of that stuff. So, yeah, okay. But other than that, this is the only I think Star I think Starman's rod gets some play in the Black Canary entry, but other than oh, that, Oh, yeah. Lord. <laughs> completely inappropriate. It was, wasn't it? Uh, next entry is Multi-Man. <laughs> oh, man. Hiya, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy my upsetting shorts. <laughs> I didn't even see that until now. <laughs> Thank you. Why doesn't he have long pants? There's no reason for him to have shorts. Why does he? Why does he have no sleeves and yeah. a giant head? Yeah, it's well. uh, it's very much an invisible destroyer type of character where he really belongs in the background of a bar scene in Brave and the Bold, and that's about it. But he, unfortunately, he appeared in a lot more places. Anyway, art by Ch Chuck Patton and Larry Malstead, and I have to say. I mean, other than the high, uh, as you mentioned, <laughs> uh, crotch shot, they do a pretty good job with what they've oh, got. It's to great. With. Chuck Patton was great for this stuff. I, I'm yeah. only assume he was assigned this as a form of punishment. <laughs> <laughs> he turned something in late, so. <laughs> You're off Justice League and you have to draw multiple. Yeah, well, I'm here to pick up the mirror piece for who's who. No, no, no. No. We give that to somebody else. <laughs> somebody just as good, though. Um, multi-man, he wears uh, a blue, uh, sleeveless sort of shirt and blue shorts that are far too short. Uh, he's got bare arms and bare legs. He's got little red boots, or he's got red boots and red gloves and a huge red collar and an enormous freaking head and pointed ears and a little mustache. Um, it's sort of like, I don't know, 
it, it even talks about in the origin year how his, how his head got big and his body atrophied. And there's a little bit of Hector Hammond and the leader going on here sort of thing. They you would know? make a great team. Hector Hammond, the leader in Multigun? Yeah, oh, yeah. The, the, the brain trust. There you go. Done. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Two interesting characters and one not so much. Um, his power is really strange. He fought, first of all, he fought the Challengers of the Unknown, so no one really remembers him, which is unfair, Ooh. because Challengers of the Unknown is a pretty cool-looking team. But I still need to pick up that showcase. He basically gains the power out of his own selfishness. He, he steals these powers, and he gets a new power every time he dies. So essentially, he's Resurrection Man. Really. I mean, in a sense, he is. And eventually, he ends up settling on sort of... Uh, he goes through a couple different powers. You know, at one point, he grows really big, and then he does an insect form, and it's, it's all this different stuff. Anyway, by the end of it, he sort of becomes... Um, he gets some mental powers, and uh, is, is just stays this bald sort of dude. I'm trying to... I'm, I'm sure I've, I've, honestly, I've kind of forgotten what his final powers are. Um, what are the mental powers? Yeah. You gotta help me out here. Okay. Yeah, strong telepathic powers. There it is. Okay. Um, now, for me personally, I, I joke about him being in Brave and the Bold in the background scene. Really, where I know him from is the Injustice League, uh, from the Giffen and Demetrius or Demetrius, is that mm-hmm. right? Um, era of the Justice League, and then eventually like Justice League Antarctica and stuff. He's great in there. He's he's just really sort of, if I remember right, arrogant jerk throughout that run, and he's a lot of fun. But he wasn't yet there yet <laughs> when this was published. I love whoever wrote this really tried to make him sound impressive because they talk about that at one point he is captured and put in, the, in an escape-proof cell deep within Challenger's Mountain. And then the next paragraph is, the inescapable prison proved to be anything but for the genius of multi-man. All right. <laughs> All right. Stop it. Just- well, the beautiful thing is they kept locking him in there and he kept breaking out. <laughs> I wouldn't put a prison in my headquarters. I'm just saying. Like, I don't think that's the way to... First of all, I don't think it's legal. Second of all... Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> it's like Superman Island. Really? I mean, come on. There's, <laughs> you're allowed to do that? Anyway, I I wouldn't want criminals to break out while they're still in my headquarters. I'm just saying. All right. Uh, up next is the entry you've all been waiting for, all the match heads are waiting for. It is Multiplex by Joe Brozowski and Greg Brooks. This piece, this piece is a killer. What's that? This piece is a killer. You like it? That was my joke about Greg Brooks, but that's okay. Oh, Lord. <laughs> God, man, you're groaning at my jokes. Okay. In, in the foreground, you've got Multiplex standing there resplendent in his original costume, which I absolutely love. It's a blue and purple ensemble. He's got the best helmet outside of Magneto in all of comic books. Uh, he's got this cool tunic that's got, it's sort of like these two blue, light blue, they're almost like oblong pill shapes, but it's supposed to represent the split nature of Multiplex. Multiplex's power is he can produce duplicates. The more energy absorbs, the more duplicates he can he can create. The beauty of it, though, and, and Jerry Conway, when he created this character, really thought about this, mass diminishes when you replicate. So each incarnation of Multiplex is a little smaller. To the point where there's a in the surprint there's a picture of Firestorm being attacked by like I don't know one foot high multiplexes they're adorable like you want to put one in your pocket and just you know ride it around with it anyway um, I mentioned this art piece is by Joe Brozowski. 
he at this point was the regular artist on Firestorm, and he had been for about two months. So while you may have expected Al Milgram or Pat Broderick or Jerry or um, Raphael Cayana to do this piece, nope. Joe Brozowski is from this point forward is the is the Firestorm artist for quite some time. So I'm not thrilled with the way Joe drew Multiplex's helmet in this piece. It just doesn't look quite right, and the helmet's supposed to be totally badassery. And it's sort of ironic because Joe drew probably the best Multiplex helmet ever on the cover of an issue, just like an uh, issue two or ago of Firestorm. So this kind of makes me sad. I don't know. His origin is tied directly to Firestorms. He was there at the same moment that the explosion happened that created uh, merged Ronnie Raymond and Professor Martin Stein, whereas they fused together, uh, Danton Black fissioned and was able to create duplicates. He was a dastardly lab assistant to Professor Stein and claimed Professor Stein had stolen his designs of a nuclear power plant, which is a bunch of crap, and uh, went on to be to plague Firestorm for years and years. He, actually, to this day, even now, he's plaguing Firestorm. You gotta have something on Multiplex. Come I was on. just waiting. I was waiting for you to finish. This is like your moment. This is your big guy. So um, I, I'm pretty excited. Okay, I can tell. what that's why I was trying to give you your space. Uh, I I would say my only real thought about this is I think Kenner missed a bet not making him part of the Superpowers line because a they had a Firestorm figure, of course. B because he splits into multiple beings, they could have could have tried to incite kids into buying many more than one figure. You know, they could have created, they could have saved themselves some money and create, like when they were going to do those big uh, deluxe packs they were planning, mm-hmm. you know, with the extra, they could, instead of for multiplex, they just do a deluxe pack, there's two figures in one pack. There you go. Yeah. You know, they only have to, you know, they don't have to make a new mold, they just right. make another one, they when sell When I was a kid, so, I had like 10 Stormtrooper figures, because Stormtroopers were, you know, these faceless group, and so, you know, you could have had multiple multiplexes. Yeah. And surprisingly, it's not that common, even though the power sounds kind of like, okay, yeah, whatever, if you really think about it, there's not that many villains out there with that power. You know? Mm, yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess so. It's not as common as it seems on the surface. So, yeah. Love that costume. Love that costume. All right, next up. Oh, crap, I better go to the pronunciation guide for this one. Hold on. Merwidden. Merwidden. Merwidden, okay. Uh, from Green Lantern. He is, all right, you know, I'm just going to, I'm just going to do it, man. I'm sorry, this is crap. This is this is bad. It's a half-page entry. It's by the legendary Gil Kane when he wasn't feeling very legendary. Uh, the dude looks exactly like a guardian of the galaxy in different clothes and without blue skin. And multi-man's head. No, the Gil Kane drew the guardians with giant friggin' heads like that quite well, that's often. That's true. That's true. So he looks like a guardian of the galaxy by the same artist. Not not the galaxy. Sorry, guardian of the universe. <laughs> He looks like a tree and a raccoon. No, he looks he looks like a, one of the guardians of the universe with just flesh-colored skin in different clothes. And then this makes this this part's not Gil's fault, but oh god, the character has so many problems with it. He, he uses rhyming spells, okay, and then he fought Abin Sur. And check this out: this is how Abin Sur decided to handle him. Instead of putting him in one of the science cells, Abin Sur decides to shrink. Merwedin, down to microscopic size, and imprison him inside his own power ring a mi- on a barren micro world within his own power ring. Because that's not going to come up and bite me in the ass later. <laughs> Violating on, that prison rule that you just mentioned. Right, exactly. So, of course, he frees himself from there. And then, even when Hal Jordan gets a new ring, for whatever reason, Merwedin's prison gets transferred to the new ring. <laughs> 
They have science cells for a reason. Just use them. This one really bothers me. Can I tell you, for many years, up actually until we started, we did this series and I started looking at these issues, I realized that his name is not Mr. Wydaden. <laughs> I always just read it wrong. <laughs> it's, it is Mirrodin, not Mr. Wydaden. I always just... <laughs> Little, uh, apparently, you don't know your alphabet that well. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Why would he have been there? Yeah, I know. I, I for some reason, I, I, I just flipped those two letters for some strange reason. Partly because I didn't care about this guy at all. I guess that's true. There we go. All right, I'm moving on. Uh, so, the, as I said, Mirrodin was the top half of a half-page entry. The bottom half is Misto, Magician Detective. Love the little subtitle there, Magician Detective. That's awesome. Uh, this is drawn by Dennis Cowan and Greg Brooks. Go ahead. I already did it once. That's all right. All right. And he is um, – is, I love the, I love his story. He's a pilot who stops his plane to go help this old man. It's, it's, it's the typical you help an old man and he trains you to do shit. Um, <laughs> he, you know, he's, he's a pilot. He lands to help this old man who's in trouble. He fights off the bad guys. The old man then agrees to teach him the magic of – the art of sleight of hand and teaches him magic tricks. And so he then comes back to America – and ends up uh, using his magic tricks to entertain children, but ends up dealing with uh, criminals, and he, he decides to use his magic to fight crime. <laughs> you can tell, yeah, this is – you mentioned a thing about the old man. Like, that's a comic book conceit that when someone, you know, our, our ostensible main character meets an old man, the old man goes and does something cool, like trains you in yeah. some really cool art, as opposed to real life where an old man will just tell you some boring stories or <laughs> – <laughs> about, the good, about the good old days when women and the coloreds knew their place. You know, I mean, it's just like... It's just, oh, my God. <laughs> it's just not... <laughs> those are the stories you're going to get nowadays. They're really not. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, no old man's going to train me or teach me magic. I mean, come on. It's ridiculous. Um, do you remember a couple episodes back where I talked about... I guess it was our DC Moving to California episode where I mentioned that I wrote a, a story that I was going to pitch to Vertigo and it was updating one of their characters. Yeah. 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 It was this character. This is who, no this, way. this is the guy that I picked. I And I picked him out of who's who. Cause I'd never heard of him before. Cause these are all from old issues of detective comics and you know, um, but yeah, I just, something I liked, I think the artwork is really cool. I mean, I'm a fan of Dennis Cowan. Uh, I, I like the, the, the Sir print is on his Cape, which is neat, but I mean, they have to, cause there's so little space. Uh, right. But I just thought he looked cool, so I updated. I, I had I wrote a whole story where like he disappeared for many years, and he had a daughter that went to find him, and he is like trapped in this thing. And it was it was you know I I you know, I I wrote it many years ago. I've never read it since. I've lost it, but I remember thinking it was kind of a fun little update of this guy. That's a cool idea. I like that. Right. To, to describe the art, I mean, what you've got in the foreground is he he's doing you know uh, prestidigitation. I almost said that right. I think and he did say it right. Very good. Thank you. He's got a tuxedo on like a magician would have. Uh, he's got a flowing red cape. And as Rob said, you can see in the serpent him. He's using um, – it looks like he's throwing cards at the gangsters to cause them to maybe drop their guns or something. And then he's, he's throwing cards elsewhere in the, in the serpent. And then you see a close-up of him as, a, I believe, a pilot in the background. It's a nice image. There, there's a lot I like about this entry, and there's some other concerns I have, like – the whole idea of using sleight of hand to defeat bad guys is a little sketchy. But the biggest thing I'm a little hung up on is says, Misto, Magician Detective. Nowhere in this entire entry is there anything even indicating the slightest bit of detective skills. <laughs> you know, okay, I think I have some explanation for that. De detective Comics, 
for many years ran different backups, and right. some of which were a little on the sketchy side uh, in terms of detective. Like, for instance, Aquaman had a backup in detective for about seven months, and oh, wow. he's not okay. a detective in any way. Good so point. I think they just slapped the word detective on a lot of characters just to sort of like, yeah, no, 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 he's a detective. He looks for things. That time he tried to find his car keys, it was like a detective show. <laughs> he was, he was yeah. detecting them. <laughs> well, well Misto premiered in 1954, and he ran for about ten issues. So Now, I don't know if I've ever told you this. My dad was actually a professional magician. No! Yeah. Wow. He, he's an art. He's a magician, uh, magic collector. There's a there's a famous uh, magician from the old days named Thurston, and uh, my dad ended up with much of Thurston's collection. Huh. Originally, my, we we actually had you know handwritten letters by Houdini in the house that he had written. Wow. And Houdini got interested in Hollywood, and we had some scripts he had written for movies and stuff like that. And my dad had a warehouse full of magic, and he still performs just for fun nowadays. I mean, he's He's elderly. He's not really doing it. But he, he performed for the governor of the state and a couple times and just did a lot of neat stuff. So uh, I, I, magic always has a, a special place in my heart. I love oh, it. Oh, very so, cool. No, you never and, I, and I don't mean wizardry magic. I mean prestidigitation. Right. So. Huh. That's so. very cool. Yep. All right. Moving on to Nathaniel Dust. Awesome. Love, love, love that logo. Yes. That's killer. S- yeah, it's absolutely cool. Nathaniel Dusk, Private Investigator. It's the logo from his miniseries, if you remember it. Uh, even if you didn't read the comic, you probably saw the house ads because yes. there were a bunch of them. He had two miniseries. Um, they're written by Don McGregor and art by Gene Colan. And this art, of course, is by Gene Colan and Dick Giordano. He is a 1930s private investigator. He was originally a policeman but didn't want to get caught up in the corruption, so he quit. And if you read his entry, it's basically a whole series of dames and troubles and him helping them. <laughs> and uh, I, I love the art. Sure. It's really nice. And uh, the story sounds great. And really makes me sad that I've never read those two miniseries now. One of the unique things about those miniseries is that they are in black and white. Are they really? Mm-hmm. They're, I think they were shot directly from Gene Collins' pencils. They're not inked. Wow. So they really give a – yeah, I mean, in fact, this, this shot here is one of the few times you're ever going to see Nathaniel Dusk in color. That is really interesting. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. So in the foreground, he's, he's sitting there. Is he, is he he's smoking a cigarette in the foreground? And, and, of course, he's wearing a trench coat. And uh, it looks like it's get, getting caught in the wind. And the serpent, you got a nice close-up of his face. You got him running across a rooftop, watching out for a clothesline. And then he's punching and kicking a couple of bad guys. So really, really, it's probably very much in, in Colin's wheelhouse, this thing. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I may have to dig this up because I remember seeing it like in the 50 cent bins, you know, always and just never picked it up. DC should collect them. I mean, they're in black and white. You wouldn't even have to take out any of the color. You just boom, print it. Yeah. Don McGregor. I didn't realize it was written by Don McGregor. I, um, Don McGregor's a writer you don't hear about a lot. But for me, I ran into him when he was writing the Zorro book for Tops. I think it was. That man could write a good comic. Oh, yeah, sure. I'm I'm interested in reading that now. He wrote some great Planet of the Apes stories for Marvel, like the expanded universe of the Planet of the Apes things. And he wrote Black Panther uh, for Marvel as well. Oh, I didn't realize that. I didn't know he'd done those mainstream books. Okay, awesome. All right, next up is Nebaros. Now, for years, I wondered how to pronounce this. I I used to call it uh, Nebaros or whatever, but it's it's Nebaros. And the reason I found out is because I was fortunate enough to interview... The creators of Blue Devil, Dan Mishkin and Gary Cohn, and uh, it's out on my Once Upon a Geek site if you ever want to find it. But I talked to them for like an hour or two maybe on um, 
on Blue Devil and uh, Amethyst, and we talked about Neveros and stuff like that. And I, uh, sorry, I bring it up because it's just a point of pride. I was really excited about doing the interview. So, uh, this art is by Paris Collins and Gary Martin, the Team Supreme. Let me tell you, if anyone's going to be inking Paris Collins, I wanted to be Gary Martin. Yeah, good combo. And it looks great. Never, if you if you didn't read Blue Devil, Neveros is this giant uh, brown, sort of insectoid, sort of a, uh, demon. He, he's really creepy. He's got the whole, what do you call it, reverse leg, kind of like a dog has, whatever, uh, reverse jointed knee or yeah, whatever it is. I don't know what you call this. And he's got spikes sticking out all over the place, and he's got this giant sort of alien's head. It's really a creepy looking guy. And in the Serpent, you've got all kinds of really weird Cthulhu-like stuff going on, floating eyes and stuff, because that's his, that's his demon dimension is, is very crazy. And there's a nice shot in the bottom there where he's got these powerful blasts just bursting from his eyes, shooting a blue devil, and blue devil's jumping out of the way just in time, and there's some weird demons back there. And Oh, man, I just love Nebro's stuff. He's got the with, with rare uh, dual-colored Serpent. Oh, I didn't notice that. It's green and blue. How interesting. Yeah, blue devil. Uh, there's something, I think there might be something to the fact that Paris Collins' style is sort of cartoony, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but it just is mm-hmm. that, like, to me, Nebros' face, I, know, I think he's supposed to be menacing, but to me, he just looks happy. It's a little of both. And, like, so I feel like this is Nebros after he's jumping on a trampoline or something. <laughs> he's just like, Wah! He just looks very <laughs> overjoyed. <laughs> well, that, that's one of the goofy things about Nebros was he 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 had this sort of ideology of he you know he was a monster and he threatened people and he wanted to take over the world, but he followed a set of rules which made him sort of susceptible and, and naive in some ways. Like he was convinced Blue Devil was a fellow demon, he called him his little brother, and because he was a fellow demon, he treated him with respect. He didn't treat him crappy like everyone else. And so, therefore, there were a lot of gags that got played where Nebros was a bit of an idiot. So having him be like, yay, you know, kind of, <laughs> it's, it's pretty fun. It works quite well. So uh, one of the neat things is, you know, he's a powerful demon with a lot of magical powers. But instead of casting spell, goofy spells and stuff, he just it just bursts out of him in sheer raw power, which is what you see that blasting out of his eyes here, shooting Blue Devil, which is great. I mean, he's creepy. He moves really fast. There's a lot of scary things about him. Now, there was a neat thing, too, where he got a hold of Blue Devil's trident and kept it for a while, for a few issues, till Blue Devil came back to get it. And I just love how he thought it was a gift from his little brother. So he was, like, thankful to Blue Devil when he saw him. He was like, ah, my brother! And he was happy he had this trident. Anyway, it became infused with demonic energy. So, now, Nebros is responsible for trapping Dan Cassidy in the Blue, Beetle, uh, Blue Devil costume. So, um, man, it just makes me want to... Read those Blue Devils. Why hasn't why haven't any of you people started a Blue Devil podcast? I'm sorry, uh, Justin Barlow. If you're listening, what's your problem? Get on it, please. I just I need it. So back me up, Rob. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's a great ringing endorsement. Well, I, okay, well, I don't know. What do you want me to do? I mean, I said I, I, in retrospect, I see why you're excited about this issue because it's got a Firestorm villain and a Blue Devil villain. There's so much more. Well, As but, in... I mean, but right there, though, I mean, just just those two things. Okay, whatever. Um, wow. I love the Nebros logo too, by the way. So, but going up next, I mean, here here's another great one: Negative Man by John Freaking Byrne. Okay, this is awesome. You know, we've we've talked about John Byrne. He's been drawing all the original Doom Patrol characters throughout Who's Who. Here's your next one. You've got you know Negative Man in the foreground. He looks a little you know he's in his he's got this interesting. It's a red bodysuit with a white severe v-neck almost dead man like v-neck it actually looks very much like dead man now that i think about it and his head is bandaged up 
And in here, he looks a little weakened because the negative energy being leaving his body and getting ready to go kick some ass. Wait, wait a minute. That's his chest? I thought what? that was a shirt. That you're saying it is a, a shirt. Oh, it is a shirt. I thought you said when it was like a V-neck that, well, that, that, I mean, that, it's that a, like his chest is white. Sorry, it's a V design. Okay, all right, all right, all right. I should have, yeah, sorry. Like Dead Man has that big V, right, you know? But, right, but Dead Man, Dead Man's, that's his chest, you see. Right, right. And, well, in Negative Woman, you'll find out it is her chest. So we'll get to okay, that in a minute. all right, okay. Um, but anyway, I'm sorry, it's it's just, it's white. And his, and his bandages are white. So sorry, didn't mean to misexplain. So anyway, it's a really nice shot. The ne- the negative being leaving his body looks great. And the serpent, you got a really cool shot, something you don't see very often, him pulling off the bandages. And that's you can crazy. see that he's... Yeah, his skin, his skin is clear, basically, is what it is. And you can see his skull underneath his skin, and it's just, ugh, and he's glowing. Also in the background, you get um, Elastic elastic Woman. and uh, Elastic Girl. Elastic Girl, thank you. And then you get General Immortus killing the Doom Patrol, <laughs> which is funny to me, because it's, anyway, I just did <laughs> Well, it cracks me up because every who's who entry has to mention how they all gave their lives to save this small little fishing village. That's always Zal. It was Zal, not not Immortus, I guess. Anyway, who did that to him? So anyway, nice thing. You know, this is I mean, Doom Patrol really was, should have been a Marvel comic. I mean, it's in in every sense of the. I mean, well, they it had was, one. It was X Men. Well, well, thank you. I was getting to that too. But here, you know, he he's a pilot. He's flying an experimental rocket plane. You know, radiation. His life doesn't go well. It's it's all, you know, the, with the the energy being leaves his body can only be gone for sixty seconds. He, his body is you know vulnerable when the energy being's out. It's just it's so Marvel. It's great. I love it for it. And as you said, it was very much the X Men. Doom Patrol and X Men premiered just about the same, uh, just a couple of months from each other, if I remember right. We've, yeah. I've done the research on this before. I don't remember. And you know, the Chief and Professor X are both wheelchair bound. There's a lot of similarities, but. Um, the only thing that kind of surprised me is that if you read this, it doesn't sound like they ever really explored the nature of the negative being very much. Like nowadays, there'd be some six-part story about, you know, like, where did the negative energy being come from? You know, or here it's just like, yeah, he's got it, whatever. You know? Yeah. Interesting. So following in that same path of talking about the X-Men and Doom Patrol being matched, you know, this is the original Doom Patrol, as we said, and then the... Next iteration of the new Doom Patrol premiered in Showcase number 94 in the Uncanny X-Men. First appeared in Uncanny X-Men number 94. A lot of similarities. And someone who's on the new Doom Patrol is Negative Woman. So our next entry by Joe Staten and Carl Kiesel. A nice combo. A really nice combo. It is. Actually, this is, uh, is, I've said before, some of the Joe Staten pieces in Who's Who I'm not a fan of. This one I am. This is a really nice one. You've got uh, Negative Woman who... I don't know how a woman in bandages comes off as hot, but she does. I think it's because all the cleavage. She, it, it's really, she's got the same sort of costume as Negative Man. It's a red bodysuit with the big deep V plunging sort of thing. Whereas Negative Man, it was a white shirt underneath the V. Here she's bare chested underneath the, the white, underneath the red V costume, except her body's bandaged. So it's cleavage with bandages. It's sort of weird. But Staten really drew her hot here. So tell me I'm wrong. No, it looks good. It's, it said, uh, I said, I mean, I'm a fan of Joe Staten pretty much in any way. But I really like this, the slightly gritty edge that Kessel gave this. And uh, so, it's, yeah, I think it's a really great. And the pose is 
kind of alluring and the angle and everything. So it looks good. Yeah, it is kind of weirdly sexual, despite the fact that she's all bandaged up. It's kind of like a Bride yep. of Frankenstein thing. Yeah, yeah. And you've got the energy being coming out. It's the same, supposedly the same energy being, but now it's taken a feminine form. It's got giant claws and, and long hair and things like that. And in the background, you see the new Doom Patrol. You see a close-up of her face before she was um, injured. And you see some bad guy. I don't know who that is. He's got stars on his costume. I don't know. I think that is... Oh, shoot. He comes in later on. He appears later on. Yeah, because I recognize the costume. Well, when okay. we get to him, I'll go, oh, that was that guy. He looks a little bit like the really bad 90s version of Amazo. But anyway. Uh, so it's a nice piece. I like this piece quite a bit. Now... We've talked about this before, and on the Fire and Water podcast, her real name, oh, Vostok. Vostok. Yes, is Vostok the Smith of of, of Russia, <laughs> or is she connected to Vostok from the others? I hope it's just the Smith of. Let's not have everybody related to everybody else. <laughs> We're going to get to that in the feedback. <laughs> anyway, nice entry. Uh, she was part of the new Doom Patrol, and eventually, uh, supposedly, it's the same entity. Like her plane. She, she's defecting from Russia, or, or, and she, our Soviet Union, and she lands in the same place where the Doom Patrol died, and somehow that disrupts the energy being that was in Negative Man, so it goes into her, so she's got the same energy being. Sure, sounds a little, Yeah, right. Sounds a little complicated to me. You couldn't just say it ended up inside of her, but whatever. <laughs> so, um, neat character. I don't... What, what ultimately happened to her? I don't know. Because Negative Man came back. So I don't know, did she lose the energy? Were they ever around at the same time? I don't know. Okay, you're helpful. All right. Next up is, this is a big one here, Necron. At the time, it wasn't a big deal of an entry. It was just this dude. In fact, it's more art than entry. But he is this weary, creepy, skeletal creature, uh, all in yellow, with this giant collar. He's basically just a walking cadaver, you know? Uh, Art by Joe Staten. Again, uh, kind of a interesting logo, very strange one. But it, Necron nowadays is best known for being the big bad of Blackest Night. Yes. So uh, now I was wondering how many appearances he had prior to this because I just didn't know whether it was a big deal or not. And he had only had three appearances prior to this, so he really was. Even though he's incredibly powerful and sort of creepy, I don't know that he was really a big deal. No, no, I don't think he was. Now, there's a neat bit in here where he talks about, well, it's not neat, it's creepy, uh, his powers. He says that he could uh, chill a living being to death, though this effect is attained by measures spiritual rather than caloric. It's kind of a, oof. <laughs> the poetic turn of phrase. It really is. I mean, it's, it is poetic, and it's creepy as hell, too. So, In uh, the Serpent, you get, you know, this, uh, you get a lot of pictures of his giant skeleton head, really. Uh, close-up of a skeleton head, him breaching a, a, a universe wall, essentially, and Krona, who's the enemy of the Green Lanterns, comes bursting through, leading a bunch of monsters, and then him fighting some more Green Lanterns. So, creepy, creepy dude. Yep. All right, moving on <clears throat> to Nemesis. Sorry, uh, Dan Spiegel fans, including you, Rob, weakest page in the book. This is not one of his better ones. I'm a big Dan Spiegel fan. This is not one of his better ones. I, I really admit that. Very disappointing. Um, the Nemesis logo is pretty sweet. Love it. That's, that's a classic logo. But the in the in the foreground picture is not too bad. He's sort of angled backwards with his gun, like he's getting ready to shoot somebody mm -hmm. behind him. Yeah, it's, it's okay. But the 
the serpent almost looks like it was just thrown together. Yeah, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's. I mean, it's Tim with his spring, the little mask on. It's got the scales of justice with the the two bullets that represent some stuff to him, and him fighting a dude. So it's, yeah. Um, unfortunately, on top of that, the the entry is sort of poorly written too. I mean, it's unnecessarily detailed with character names and stuff like that. I. I uh, the only thing I really liked was the scales. That's about it. This whole page. This now, is this is a character that could be brought back and kind of done really cool. I'd love to see like the guys uh, like Sean Phillips, who does the um, oh shoot, uh, and Ed Brubaker, who do all those you know film noir comics. Those I'm blanking out on the name of them at the moment, but uh, yeah. they would be great to do this kind of strip. Didn't Nemesis come back not too long ago? Did he? In Wonder I mean, Woman, maybe? Yeah, they've used him in things, but I mean, didn't, I think he, date, didn't, he, didn't he date Wonder Woman? I think maybe he did. Yeah. I think so. Um, it, it, it's a cool character conceptually, and I've seen him used, I want to say, in a couple of places that was neat. And I think his stories were pretty good from what I understand. Mm-hmm. But uh, this is just an, an unfortunate representation of him, that's all. And he fights a group called the Council, so that immediately turned me off. So <laughs> It's a different Council than what fought Supergirl. Thank it's God. Still not, yeah. The term is forever poisoned. All right, up next is the Nemesis Kid. Ta-da! <laughs> he does have sort of a, a one hand closed, one arm like I'm presenting me. Uh, <laughs> Works as a greeter at a Las Vegas casino. Now, if you didn't know this character and you didn't read the entry, so you probably don't, you would guess he's what? Stupid. A member. A member of <laughs> the Legion of Superheroes. Right. But he's not. But he's not. No. Now, the art here is by Kurt Swan and Kyle Baker. So what you're getting is Kurt Swan drawing a sort of heroic, almost heroic-looking drawing. So when you just look at it and you see the Legion stuff in the background, you're like, oh, he's a member of the Legion. No, he's a member of the Legion of Supervillains. In fact, he joined the Legion secretly and was a traitor. Bastard. I tell you. And he was helping the Cahoons. And I, you know, I got to tell you, or Cuns, whatever you want to oh, say. Don't get into that again. Well, I'm just, I get corrected a lot. Anyway, I, I will say, like, the Legion... You know, him betraying them, one of them should have just looked and gone, oh, it was right there in the name. <laughs> anyway, so he uh, he goes on to become the leader of the Legion of Supervillains, and he nearly kills Karate Kid, and you see it happen in the serpent. punch. Just <laughs> savagely shreds Karate Kid. Beating the crap out of Karate Kid. And that's got to be more Kyle Baker than yes. Kurt Swan right there. Yes. What yeah. a weird combination, Kurt Swan and Kyle Baker. Yeah, that is... Oof. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it was probably a treat for Kyle Baker, though. They're kind of like, wow, I get to draw some regular stuff. Um, there's some a lot of white space in this one, but it sort of works for it, you know? It, even the text is sort of short. So, I don't know. But, man, I st- that Karate Kid punch, oof, man, you know? <laughs> I, he should have used the crane on him. But anyway, um, in the background, you see him joining the Legion and him fighting uh, a bunch of people. He has a really interesting power. That just is, His power is he could adapt specific power that could enable him to defeat any given opponent. For example, he could turn it, if he was fighting a Kryptonian, he could turn into living kryptonite. Crazy. How do you beat that? I guess you don't. Next up is Neptune Perkins by Mike Clark and Bill Collins. Woo! Another very friendly entry. He's happy. He's very happy. He's under the sea. Dun, 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 dun. Anyway, um, he he had guess how many appearances he had prior to this? If you ignore All Star Squadron, oh, probably like three or something. One. <laughs> One? Really? I didn't really. Well, 
that doesn't seem right to me, but that's what my research came up with. Um, he and it was and he appeared with Golden Age Hawkman. Anyway, so yeah. he uh, he got picked up by the All Star Squadron and hung out with them. And this is pro- this is before All Star Squadron got canceled, so he really hadn't appeared a lot. They, what they're building to is the young All-Stars, yes. where he's going to take Aquaman's place in continuity. Right. And that was already in the works at this point, so probably part of the reason he was included. The, the gist of this is he's this kid who has a horrible salt deficiency in webbed digits. <laughs> so in order to survive, his father figures out that as long as he hangs out in salt water, he feels pretty good. And he can't breathe underwater, but he does hold his breath up to as long as seven minutes, which is pretty impressive, i got to say. So, um... You know, in post-crisis, he essentially becomes Aquaman right. of the Golden Age. Right. He really does. He takes his place. Now, I should, I should talk about the art. Underwater, he's sitting there with his hand outstretched, and he's holding a pad of paper, which is cute, because uh, he was he was always well-known for journaling his adventures and, and journaling the under the sea. And you see, like, a, in the surfing, you see a turtle swimming by and all that. You see a close-up of his face. You see him swimming. You see him in Starman with Tsunami, and you see him as a baby. So um, it's not the strongest art piece. But it's not terrible. No, 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 no. Uh, I don't know who Mike. I don't know who Mike Clark is. Do you? Uh, I think he worked on some All Star Squadrons. Oh, so, okay. But I will. I notice here. I think uh, this listing has a error because it says uh, that his first appearance is Flash Comics number eighty six. Sixty six. Sixty six. Does it say eighty? Okay, sixty six. Uh, meanwhile, Mike's Amazing World lists Neptune Perkins' first appearance as Flash Comics number eighty one. And it shows you Neptune Perkins right there on the cover. That's weird. So I'm going to assume that uh, this is right and who's who is wrong. That's unusual. Because I'm sure it'll be in an upcoming letters page. We see him right there. Yeah. So. Interesting. Okay. All right. Um, he's, he's, you know, if you're an Aquaman fan, he's kind of important. And you should read the Young All-Stars and read about his adventures because he does take the place of the Golden Age uh, Aquaman who's from Earth-1. So, uh, next up uh-huh. is you like that? Just slid that right in there, didn't yeah, so. I? Next up is New Genesis. <laughs> this one's by Jack Kirby and Greg Theakston. There's a lot of New God stuff in this issue, by the way. So, um, you see New Genesis blowing up in the background because <laughs> in, in the entry it's just recently been destroyed. And in the foreground, you get these four little inset pictures. One is of Supertown, which is a New Genesis colony that floats above the world. You get the Park. I love that name. Very exciting stuff. Memorial statues and the world below. They were really reaching with this one. I'm sorry. Jack was just stretching it really far. I, well, I mean, how do you mean? The Park. Well, okay. I mean, not everything can be called Supertown. I just show Supertown and be done with it. But anyway, it talks about the origin of New Genesis and how it's the parallel world to Apocalypse. And uh, talks about its destruction, and um, it's uh, you know, it's pretty to look at. But when you stop and really think about it, I think it's you know, I don't know that it's the best representation of New Genesis. Yeah, this was a page I definitely sort of skipped over when I would yeah. reread the comics. Uh, yeah, New Genesis, especially when you get right to the next page. Boom! This is your kapow moment, folks. Uh, two-page spread for the new gods, and there are a bunch of them. Uh, you've got along the, t- the left-hand side and the right-hand side little faces of all the characters, and there are tons of them. You get a lot of the background, and then they give you a breakdown on some certain characters that didn't get their own entries. They give you a little bit of history on those. I love in the art, 
By the way, the art's by Jack Kirby and Greg Thiexton, as it should be. There, in the in the art, there's a grandstand built as if there's a parade going on, and up there is Dark Side and uh, Desaad and Glorious Godfrey's trying to start the wave, and Granny Goodness and Hegra. And it's just, they literally look like they're like the, the the MCs of a parade. And Doctor Bedlam's holding it up, holding up the uh, the, the grandstand from falling. <laughs> I know I say this. Uh... I think I've said this every issue, but I'm going to say it again. This entry needed to be three pages. I think there's too many characters here in too little space, so this needed to be, I'd say, two full pages of art and then a third page where it's just the text. Well, I would say that I think there's too much text. Like, I don't think they needed to say all of this about new gen- the new gods. I mean, there, there's they talk about how there was the old gods and how the old gods were destroyed and they got all, and their universe got split into two worlds which is apocalypse and new genesis they talk about how the people from these planets are descendants of old gods um i never picked up on that but yeah they're descended from baldar as in like baldar the brave and some evil sorceress which i guess is the interesting i'm not really sure but because you know they, it's really hinting that these guys came were descended from norse mythology is what i'm kind of reading into it so, um, what else is worth talking about? In the art, you've got um, Mr. Miracle strapped to a rocket in the background, as he should be. I love that. You've got, all right, Avia. I don't know who she is. Avia? She's hot, though. Um, blonde chick with blue outfit. I, she's on the cover right next to Monel. I don't right. know. I don't really. I don't know who she is, but I'd, I wouldn't mind knowing now. Then what? Uh, what else? I guess it's just you know, it's a big celebration of Kirby. It's a fun piece. I love Kanto. He looks great. There's a lot of really nice bits in here. Um, Can you figure out who it is that is sharing Metron's chair? Yes. Believe it or not, I did. That is Isak. That is Isak, right. I did look it up myself. I was like, oh, hey, there's a guy sitting there with Metron. And then did I, I, I figure wondered, it out, but, yeah. But then I remembered Isak was his little um, sidekick. Ah, okay. So, in fact, I talked in – fa- in fact, last issue, I think I joked about was like uh, Anakin Solo or Anakin Skywalker because he trained one way and then went the other way as far as helping the bad guys. So. Anyway, it's it's a fun piece. Um, it, it is it is a little underserved by being shrunken. Yep. Uh, but other than that, it's it's a fun sort of celebration piece. It's it's not my favorite Kirby in the piece piece in the book that's coming, but it's a uh, it's a good one. You know, I like it. I, I don't have anything to call out faults on. I think when you look at this and you get a greater, if you didn't already know it, a greater sense of the depth of Jack Kirby's imagination, and that every single character you're looking here was created by him. Everyone. Yep. Now, you think about this, and you're like, wow, somebody that had the vision to create all of these characters, this whole world, what an imaginary person. And that would be enough, even if Jack had never created another single thing in the comic book world. And yet, this was, like, one of the later things that he did. <laughs> you know? Like, this was, yeah. it was after he created three-quarters of the Marvel Universe, too. It's uh, And then all the DC stuff he did in the 40s and the 50s. It's, it's really quite startling when you think about just the sheer level of imagination the guy had. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, you, you know, Stan gets so much credit for a lot of the characters from Marvel, and yet, again, you look at the creative that pours out of Jack, and you got to go, you know what? There's a lot more Jack in there than he gets credit. A lot of, he's a character factory, that guy. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. That's a good one. I like that. So, Oh, if he'd been around during the days of role-playing games, he could have really, you know, cranked out some cool stuff. So, All right, next up is the New Olympians, drawn by Paul Neary. 
And this is a group of characters with an exceptional art piece that probably didn't deserve that good of an artist. <laughs> and this is a really, really, really nice piece. I love this piece. They look awesome. There's just a tiny bit teaser of history. It's barely there. As with all the Outsiders characters, there's very little history. And they sound great because they're all themed on Greek myths. And, uh, you know, Mike W. Barr was famous in the, in the, in the, in the Outsiders period for Draw, or creating themed teams. Right. This is, these are the new Olympians. They're based on Greek myths. There was the Masters of Disaster, which were based on you know, natural disasters. So the Force of July, which is based on patriotic stuff. So um, you, know, you get uh, led, the, the team was led by Maxi Zeus. You've got Antaeus, I guess, okay. who sort of got like Atlas powers. Argus, who sees all. Uh, Diana, which is of the hunt. Uh, Nox is, controls dark forces. Um, Proteus, which is shape changing, and uh, Volcanus, which is like you know heat creation. So, really neat, fun team. I, I don't particularly remember this issue of Batman and the Outsiders, but they sure look cool. But I hear nothing but bad things about them. <laughs> I love Knox's look. Knox looks really cool. Yeah, well, they all do, really. Right, yeah, but I mean that one particular. And I agree, these characters don't deserve this level of art. They don't deserve Paul Neary. <laughs> so beautiful piece. All right, up next is my favorite entry uh, by Jack Kirby in the book. It is the Newsboy Legion. Let me tell you, uh, I've gone through different periods of my life where I liked them and other points where I couldn't stand them. And I, when I reread this entry and I saw this art, I fell in love with them all over again. They are the cutest, most endearing group of hooligans ever created. They're just adorable. And when you realize that Jack Kirby drew them back in 1942... You can't help but just be even more thrilled to know he was drawing them again later. So basically, it's this group of young young kids. I mean, I don't even know if they're technically teenagers or not. Probably not. Anyway, they they come up against Frankie the Fence, who's a bad guy, and they decide to uh, to to work on the side of right. Basically, Jim Harper, who goes on to become the Guardian, gets involved with them and sort of makes sure they stay on the right track. The, the original members are Tommy, who's like the pretty guy. There's Big Words, who's the smart guy. There's Scrapper who loves nothing more than getting in a, in a fight, and Gabby, the little kid, the small mouth, or sorry, small boy, the big mouth that he seldom shuts. I love that. And uh, there it goes. You read the entry, they're just so much fun. Oh, my gosh. What a hoot. You know, they're around in, what, the 1920s or 30s, you know, stirring up trouble and uh, meeting a guardian and hanging out with him. And then, years later, they all have brilliant kids. <laughs> Who can become the new Newsboy Legion? They're almost like clones of the originals. And, oh, my gosh. Just love it. Love every minute. If you had them nowadays, they'd be like the BuzzFeed Legion or something like that. Well, you do have them nowadays. Like, um, Well, maybe not nowadays, but a few years ago they were around. The, the clones were, or the, the children were at least. They're not clones. They're just kids. They should have been clones. But anyway. It's fun. I love it. And I'm sorry. In the drawing, you've got their heads along the left-hand side. You've got... Then standing there in the policeman, Jim Harper's holding back Scrapper, who's ready to go kick somebody's butt or at least get away, one or the other. And in the background, you get this cool serpent of the Guardian. So I love, I love, I love it. Absolutely love it. Did I mention I like it? (laughs) Yeah. All right. Next up is Night and Fog by Arvell Jones and Sam Granger from All Star Squadron. Um, hmm. The art is probably fine for the you know mid nineteen eighties. However, being that these are supposed to be characters from the 1940s, I have a hard time buying it. Yeah. Yeah, they look contemporary, or when this was printed, not from the 40s. 
Yeah. I mean, the, 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 the lady knight, she's in basically lingerie, you know, in giant, you know, knee-high boots with a whip. And, and, you know, and then the fog is wearing a very sort of, it really looks a very 80s supervillain kind of costume. So it just eh, didn't really sit well with me. Um, but there is, in the text, there's some really nice pieces in there. There's a nice parallels to what was going on in Nazi Germany at the time. I mean, Night and Fog parallels with Nacht and Nebel, which was uh, basically the Germans were intended to um, take their potential enemies of the Third Reich and, and the conquered Western nations. They were, to go, they were to disappear in the Night and the Fog. So it was sort of paralleling the belief system. So, I mean, that's nice done by uh, Roy Thomas there. So you've got them in the foreground. In the background, you've got um, her fighting, uh, her being Knight fighting our man. You've got Fog fighting some dude in a beret. One of the newsboy leads. Scrapper from the newsboy leads. Maybe so. And then Adolf Hitler sort of floating above them in the Serpent. So Um, it's it's not a bad entry, but it's just I have a hard time accepting that they'd be out there in the 1940s dressed like that. Next up is... Night Force by Gene Colan and Bob Smith. Now, have you read Night Force? Yes, uh, a long time ago. I don't remember a lot from it, and I want to go back to it. I really do want to go back and, re- and reread them. Okay. Well, it reads like it was a constantly evolving team of characters. Yeah. Like, so, like, you never – well, it sounds like it wasn't a very consistent team of characters, or at least they were rotating new members. And they were all helping Baron Winters. Is that his name? Yep, Baron Winters, yep. yep. And it's really interesting. Unfortunately, they've been the butt of a lot of jokes because their series didn't sell that well back when it came out, and so they really got picked on mercilessly because there were just tons of copies in the 50-cent bins. And, um, well, but, it's very uncommercial. It's not a superhero book, you know. Uh, so, you know, I mean, it was sort of doomed to fail because it just wasn't what people wanted to read back then. But it was really well done. Yeah, it's a series of regular people who are in this house and end up helping Baron Winters across time um, to defeat, you know, menaces. It's a, it's a horror genre kind of comic. I mean, you talked about it during the opening with In Stock Trade. So, I mean, it sounds like it's definitely worth picking up. Yeah, so. and it's be- and on top of it, beautiful Gene Colan artwork. Yeah, and in this here, as we said, it's Gene Colan. You know, on the left hand side, you get the the dominant human characters that operate a part part of Night Force, and in the foreground, in the main picture, you get sort of them running at you, and in the serpent, you see uh, Baron Winters sort of floating above them. Yeah. Nice piece. Nice piece. Right. Yeah. All right. Uh, oh, you know what? Didn't they do a recent Night Force they miniseries? Did. They did. Yeah, they did. They have come back. Was that Marv Wolfman again? I don't. I didn't read it. I don't know. Because Gene, Gene's passed away now, right? Yes, Gene has passed yeah. away. That's what I thought. Okay. All right. Next up is the entry that's going to might just change my opinion on the cutest Legionnaire. Um, I didn't say hot. I said cute. Night Girl is just about the cutest thing I've ever yeah, seen hit the 30th adorable, century. Yeah. She is absolutely adorable with a splash of sexy. Uh, drawn by Terry Austin. She is in like an all-black bodysuit with these kicking-ass heels and a cute belt. She's got an owl face sort of stretched across her breasts. She's got a little shorts, these dainty little blue sle- short sleeves. And she's got these cool black gloves, and she's just and a blue cape, and she's just cute as a button. Uh, way to go, Rock Crin! I'm just saying, you know. Uh, again, drawn again, drawn by Terry Austin, and it really sort of gives you a sense that you know what, maybe, uh, maybe all this Austin Burn and Austin John Burn and Terry Austin art. Mm, I think there's a lot of Terry in there. Anyway, uh, she. By the way, did you notice on her like the shadowing? What Terry did here was. You know, I don't know if you can tell in your copy. He did some shadowing on her bodysuit using, I think, Zipatone. 
Yeah, there is a slight, yeah, yeah. There it's on is the back of one of her legs, it's on the yep. breasts, it, in the back of her neck. Yep. It just it's, yep. works her so well. God. And the pose is great. It's cute. It's like she's she's posing, showing off how strong she is. Yeah. But she's not. She doesn't have big muscles, and she's got these skinny arms. But it's it's really, it is, it's a really adorable piece. Yep. And But she is super strong. You just don't see it. She's super strong at night. Well, but, I, okay, I just mean yeah. that she's not bulky. Where, you know, yeah. Like, yeah. She's not hanging with Mongol. No, no, she's not. Um, interesting thing about it, she was part of the Legion of Substitute Heroes. When she tried out for the Legion, her big secret was the illusion she tried out for the Legion is because she had a crush on Cosmic Boy, uh, which is so cute. And uh, eventually she ends up as his, his girlfriend and I think even wife in the long run. So, again, good on you, Rock. And uh, so you get the foreground, that picture, adorable picture we talked about. In the background, you get a nice shot, close-up shot of her, her face. You get a close-up shot of her in a different costume. Bending a metal pipe, you see her and Cosmic Boy sort of snuggling, you see the Legion headquarters, and you see the Legion of Subs sort of running at you in a heroic pose, and she's the strongman of the Legion of Substitute Heroes, which is fun. Now, she did not make it into the Legion because her powers are ineffectual during the day. She needs to become strong at night. So, Boy, does she hate daylight savings time. I tell you. Oh, what a beast. So, anyway... um, you know, if we were playing this game we've been playing all along, who's the hottest legionnaire, if we play strictly by the rules of who's who entries, man, she'd be definitely a major, major, major contender. But um, my heart still goes out of Phantom Girl. Probably not her who's who entry based on what everyone's warned me about, but we'll see. I don't peek ahead, by the way. Uh, we, we talk about this. Like, sometimes the pronunciation index is in the issue ahead. I don't peek ahead. Because I, I want to, I want to discover the issue as we go. So uh, I have not looked at Phantom Girl's entry. I hear it's not good. So we'll see. What? All right. Next up is Nighthawk by Leonard Starr. Nighthawk is an old West hero. In my mind, he was always sort of the hero of the old West. He was sort of the Captain America of the old West. Like Captain America, sort of the pinnacle of heroes, you know. And I always saw in my mind Nighthawk as that. I don't know if I'm right. But that's always the sense I got. Hmm. He, uh, what's that? No, I just, I've, I've never thought of it that way or heard anybody say that, so it's interesting. Well, he was around for like 70 issues. Uh, and I said it was drawn by Leonard Starr. Now, Leonard Starr, as near as I can tell, didn't draw Nighthawk, but he drew a lot of stuff during the Golden Age. And, uh, and this... mostly a comic strip artist. Was he really? Yeah, oh, okay. he drew Mary, Mary Perkins on, stra- on stage. He did Little Orphan Annie. Uh, oh, so, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, later on in his career, but, um, yeah, yeah. I think he created that, um, the one you just mentioned, Mary Perkins. So. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Nice logo. It's got Nighthawk, and it's sort of in front of a moon, which is pretty cool. And uh, he, he's a travel in his, in his um, alter ego, he's a traveling fix-it man, which gives him an excuse to travel from place to place and help people. He died in crisis, which is unfortunate. And in this drawing, he looks older. I, I ne- until this drawing, I don't remember seeing him as an old man. I mean, he, was he old in the appearances you remember? No, I can't say I remember. Yeah. yeah. He does look a little older here than your typical superhero. Yeah, he looks like he's in his you know late forties or fifties here. Yeah. So he does look like a Hollywood you know dashing Hollywood star yes. though. You know, I love he's got the the neckerchief and all that. So looks good. So I, 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 I go ahead. Oh, I said earlier that Monsieur Mallow was my favorite. Drawing this, I I think this might be my favorite one. Really? Yeah, I, I think it's so well drawn. I mean, Leonard Star was a brilliant artist. It's just so well drawn, and I love that it's unusual. I mean, it's the only piece Leonard Star did for Huzu. It's an unusual choice to go get him to do this. 
Um, I, I just think it's like it meets like everything I love Who's Who about. It's an obscure character, you know. Yeah. Like it, it's a great combo of all those things, and I love the logo too. And, and the fact that he's a little bit older, it works. I mean, it gives him a very distinctive look. He doesn't look like anyone else in comics. Exactly. Comics. Yep. So yeah. yeah, it looks good. Now, um, did he, you know when they did that issue of Justice League where they went back to the old West and met all the old West guys? Was he in that? No, he was not. Really? No. Gosh, it was. I uh, have... It's Jonah Hex, Cinnamon, yeah. uh, Scalp Hunter, and Batlash. Interesting. See, I, I think Crisis sort of gave me some misconceptions because I mean, he was in Crisis, and I think maybe that's where sort of my my skewed view of certain things. Like to me, he's he's the centerpiece of the the Western heroes, you know. When yeah, really no, it's probably not, really, not, yeah. not him at all. But no. that's how I see it, hmm. you know. And I think, if I remember right, I think in post-crisis retconning, I think he's um, Carter Hall, one of the pre-incarnated uh, Carter Hall. So. Uh, <laughs> I just like to make you suffer. Because I do like that, that they, I like that Carter Hall reincarnation aspect of it. Because it, I mean, it was already there. He had, it wasn't like something new out of nowhere. No, that's true. It was, yeah. it was a reincarnation to start with. Yeah. So, and his very first appearance. So. Alright, final entry of the book. Nightmaster. Beautiful piece. By Charles Vess. Absolutely gorgeous. Really cool sort of creepy logo. You've got him. He's standing with the... Uh, he's, he's raised his powerful magical sword up in the air. His back is arched. He's sort of leaning back on his tippy toes. Almost like he's floating. Uh, he wears a sort of all blue chainmail suit with a flowing red cape. Really, a, really a neat picture. Probably, I bet his original comics were a real treat to read, I bet. Because... Um, he he's this young teenage guy who's in a rock band and he gets transported to this sword and sorcery sort of world and has to take on this role of a hero because he's descended from this line of these characters. And um, there's some fun names in here, like people he works with. There's one guy named Boz, B-O-Z. Then i got to find this other name here. Um, Tiki Tark Apolis Trout Trust. Sure, <laughs> why not? This is giant barbarian creature. That's that's his name. Love it. And uh, his girlfriend's Janet Jones. Nice alliteration there. So it's it's a looks like it was probably a fun book. Now he went on at least for me to become better known in Shadow Pack. Uh, he was the bar key, bar owner in Shadow Pack, which was a neat neat idea to bring him back. But interesting character. This is the only time Charles Vesta drew the character. Yeah, it was a neat choice to go get him to do this at the time very obscure character. I mean, he came from an era of Showcase where Showcase was just throwing way different things on the wall and see what would stick. And mm-hmm. if you, I mean, that would make a great collection of like the last 50 issues of Showcase because by the time Showcase had hit its midpoint, the introduction of all the big superheroes was finished. They had already introduced Flash and Green Lantern and, the, and Adam and Hawkman. Uh, not Hawkman, but um, so the last 50 are these all these really bizarre concepts and Johnny, there's Johnny Trouble and Jason's Quest, Nightmaster. I mean, it's all these really like one-off, two-off little ideas, and uh, there's a hell of a lot of imagination and to be found in those issues of Showcase. And they're all very different from each other too. You know, very different concepts, and uh, you know, most of them didn't really work in any sort of long form. But but they're, it's a lot of fun stuff. Now, I think it's is it fair to say that new talent showcase didn't have the same sort of energy and creativity. Well, it was yeah, it was a different yeah, 
there was a, a, a different kind of mentality, I think, going behind that. But in, in the late – DC was so desperate to catch up to Marvel in the late 60s that they were just trying anything. And Showcase to me is like the epitome of that style of just like – Here's this and this and this. Try this. Maybe this will work. You know, and you're just like <laughs> every other concept. I mean, Jason's Quest was like a kid on a motorcycle kind of like action adventure strip, and then you have Nightmaster, which is a total sci-fi fantasy strip, and it was they really just did a million different things. Dolphin. That's where introduced Dolphin for one issue. Yeah. Yeah. So. Huh. Well, that rounds out the entries. Um, now, just to get to the quick, the last page, which is you know always gives you a teaser what's to come up. You've got some great covers on here. You get the Legion with Monel in the foreground, flying at you. You get uh, Tales of the Teen Titans. Blue Devil, one of my favorite Blue Devils, is the St. Patrick's Day special. Uh, 100% pure Balarney, it's advertised as. You get Fury of Firestorm and the Nuclear Man, number 48, featuring Moonbow, uh, who was kind of set to be a big deal, but then very quickly evaporated, as she should. Uh, you get All-Star Squadron, towards the end of its run, number 58. And you get the Outsiders, with the Ladies of the Outsiders on the cover there. So it's a great set of stuff. Not a lot in the teasers. You know, they usually say so-and-so will appear here, or whatever. Uh, the, you get several mentions of DC Challenge. The only one really worth mentioning is um, Neptune Perkins is sent... Well, it's a mis- that's a misspelling there, huh? Is set to return in a future issue of All-Star Squadron. So you know that what that really means is he's set to come into the Young All-Stars. Yes. So, yeah. Now, I tell you, I'm going to have a hard time, Rob, going through this, finding just 10 or 15 entries to post because there's so many good ones in this issue. Again, it's sort of it, – it, we've, we've heard it before. This issue is definitely um, more than the sum of its parts. It's a, it's a great issue. It really is. And it's all these little individual entries that make it up without yet having any huge banner characters. So. Yeah, yeah, they did. They did. A, they came up with a really great issue considering, yeah, there's no marquee names here. Yeah, I really, really, really like this issue. This is a good one. So, all right. Well, folks, coming up next, we are going to get to your feedback in a segment we call Who's Who's, How's and Why's. So, um, before we get started, one thing I just want to say. Um, you know, if you want to keep up with us on the social media, that's about what we're going to go through here. We're going to talk about uh, all the comments we've received through either comments on our blogs, which is AquamanShrine.net or FirestormFan.com. You can leave comments on our Facebook pages, um, hit us up on Twitter, wherever. All we ask is when you're doing the social media, please include the hashtag PoundFWPodcast. It makes it a lot easier for us to find those comments. It makes it easier for fellow fans of the show because they will interact with you. Believe me, y'all will talk to each other. It's fantastic. So definitely do that. Um, also, you know, I, I'm going to put this out there. We haven't talked about this in a while. If you don't mind and if you're so inclined, would you please go out to iTunes and write a review for the show? If you enjoy the Who's Who show, just take a moment. Put a comment out there. Tell us, how, tell people how much you like the show or what you really think of it or whatever because it helps to raise the profile of the show. It helps to draw attention to the show, and we'll bring in some more people, and we'll get more people listening to the show, and we'll continue to build this great community of uh, listeners, you know? Yeah. So, all right. Uh, Rob, you want to, like, kind of catch my breath a little bit? You want to kick us off here? Okay. We got an email from Mike LaCroix. Uh, he writes, Gents, I have just started listening to Who's Who podcast on iTunes, and I'm loving every minute. I followed Who's Who as the issues are coming out alongside Crisis, and I poured over every page. I was especially drawn in because in grade 7 or 8, I was assigned to do a project and presentation on any topic. So I chose DC Comics. 
I wrote to DC and asked them if there's any way they could send me a bio of all their characters to help me with the project. <laughs> I was in grade school, so the skill of managing expectations had not yet developed. <laughs> they replied with a very nice letter that had the reverse image of the main characters on the back, so that when you read it, you could see them properly through the, through the page. Fast forward to 1985, and there was a resource I was looking for in print. A funny thing about the surprints was that if you got a purple drawing that was slightly askew, you could grab old-style red-blue 3D glasses and see the background in 3D. You really had to get a skewed copy to get any significant effect, because the purple surprint, 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 sour print, whatever, was made up of basic blue and red. It worked. At conventions and shows, I dig through my who's who and get the artists to sign their work, which always drew a sideways glance from the other people in line. I have Todd McFarlane, early Todd McFarlane, not mega superstar bazillionaire Todd McFarlane, George Perez, Gene Colan, Terry Austin, Howard Chaikin, and many others. My favorite image of the entire series is John Burns Khan, which is he's talking about from the um, Who's Own Star Trek. Since I'm on episode two, I have some time to catch up to wherever you are with now with the series. A comment on episode two is that Batgirl Betty Kane's omission is the reason that the two Batman entries are not side by side. Great show, and I'm looking forward to more. Thanks, Mike LaCroix. Thanks, Mike. That is great. I love the idea of getting the artist to sign their Who's Who entries. That's really great. I wish I had thought of that years ago when a lot of these guys were still around. That would have been great. Yeah, that that's brilliant. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. I love that he used the, uh, the the Star Trek Who's Who. That's it. That's really yeah, cool. It's all, hey, it's all part of it. Yep. Heard from uh, my buddy David Gutierrez. Uh, probably said that wrong. But uh, sent us an email. I, I was trying to come up with a name uh, when we were talking about Mr. Miracle last time. And I was mentioning my favorite Mr. Miracle artist was one from the 1980s in the JLI sort of period on the Mr. Miracle book. His name's Joe Phillips was the name I was trying to come up with. Uh, he let me know that. And he drew the JLI special that Mr. Miracle uh, did. And unfortunately, um, he's having some health problems right now. So, you know, if you can, give me your thoughts. Heard from Jeff R., and Jeff writes in quite frequently and tells us uh, or brings up great omissions from Who's Who. He spends the time to think about who, what was missing from this particular issue. And he writes, at first I thought I'd have to stretch for an egregious omission of the issue this time. And he goes on and, and goes through a lot of really neat ideas of ones he thought of, excuse me, that um, could have been included. And then he says, and it hit him, uh, he said, oh, a place, as in a word, metropolis. Yeah, Metropolis totally should have had an entry. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Daily Planet had one. I would think that Metropolis Metrop- deserved Metropolis one. and Gotham deserved their own. Yeah, things. absolutely. And Alfred, but that's a whole different discussion. Yeah. Heard from David Jeffries, who goes by The Flash. He says, I'm a big fan of Mr. Talkie Tawny, and because I've lived in Michigan my whole life, I love Shazam! Number 32, where Talkie Talkie joins the Detroit Tigers. <laughs> Why not? Love that. Uh, we heard from our buddy Alex G. Bowman, who also goes by Lord Worm or Crotchhorn. Oh, Lord. Anyway, he took us to task. He's listening to some old episodes. And he took us to task when we attacked the team Helix, uh, which from Infinity Inc. I mean, we really beat on these guys bad when we talked about them. And he goes, Arr, I love these guys. You totally ripped them to shreds. I do understand why. I really do. I fell in love with their odd appearances and was just dying to see them fight Superman, Batman, Aquaman, Firestorm, etc. However, at my young age, I had access to who's who, but my other comics would be uh, whatever I could find from uh, and buy with my paper route lawn mowing money at one of the used bookstores in town. So what he's saying is he didn't have the Infinity Inc. comics at the time. He only had who's who. So, years later, with a real job, a license in the internet, I was able to track down the actual issues containing the characters who fascinated me the most. I was utterly disappointed. <laughs> First, that their interactions were so heavily pop culture laden. The name Dow Jones I t- now understood and hated. 
The relationship between Eric the Windwalker and Eric's Son of Thunderer was never really explained. I discovered that Mr. Bones' uniform was also a direct steal from the Black Terror. This, was, this is indeed a giant, not as big as Batman's Penny, or Penny Dreadful costume. Uh, even with all this, I still love them. And he goes on to talk about some of the other aspects of Helix, but there you go. Uh, everyone, Helix has one fan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he asks a bunch of other questions, too, that we want to get to later on, some stuff later on in the uh, series. But he mentions, could each of you address, if you haven't, your top five characters you feel were unfairly left out of the entire series? Uh, we have covered that briefly. I, you know, I was a big advocate for Sugar and Spike. And uh, that is, those are characters that, in, within the Who's Who series itself, DC gets taken a task for not including. Um, going out, aside from that pick, uh, I would say, you know, I'm probably pushing it here. But I would say the human flying fish, Aquaman's villain. Uh, because, because, you know, he did appear in the late 50s, actually the very early 60s. Uh, as a villain under when uh, Ramona Fraden was drawing it. And then he was brought back for the Super Friends in the Super Friends series. And he was one of the villains in a Super Friends golden book for children called Revenge of the Super Foes. So he actually made an appearance like outside of traditional comic books. Hmm. Um, and, you know, Aquaman villain-wise only got two villains in the entirety of Who's Who. He only got two villains listed. But he um, has more than two? Huh? He has more than uh, yeah, two? Yeah, Oh, funny. Uh, actually, he has three. <laughs> I, I forget, forget about the fisherman. He had fishermen as well. But uh, I, I think the human flying fish would have been probably appropriate, considering some of the other real obscure characters. I mean, if they could bring in, well, you know, I'm going to say Neptune Perkins, but he was already back in Ulster Squadron. But, uh, you know, if they could bring back some of the older guys, I would have thought human flying fish maybe would have been would have been worth it to do. So those are the other there's, there's got to be other ones that I'm blanking at the moment who else could be on there but those are the ones that occurred to me was that uh, that they didn't get a listing sugar and spike and human flying fish I mean we've talked about also like the supporting characters really got the short yeah, shrift yeah. and now what they would do is if they had a superhero alter ego they'd find a way to wedge them in other than Lois Lane but like Jimmy Olsen should have had his own le- le- entry not as Whatever the heck he was in there as Elastic Giant Turtle, Lad, yeah. Elastic Lad, yeah. Perry White should have had an entry. Yeah, Lana Lag. Jim, Jim, well, Lana Lag was in uh, hidden under Insect, Insect Queen. Queen yeah. yeah, Jim Gordon should have had his own. Alfred Pennyworth should have had their own. So that that's who I feel it got Steve robbed. Steve Trevor. What's that? Steve Trevor. Sure, um, Steve Lombard. Um, All right, now. We're... <laughs> I uh, Doreen Day, Cliff Carmichael, Pete Ross. <laughs> so I um. Uh, I would also say Zan and Jaina. You know, as yeah, much as you yeah, might no, want to moan and whine about it, it's they deserve one. They did. Know? They did. Even though DC said the Super Friends comic, they should like they don't do anything that were exclusively Super Friends characters. <sighs> which, which is, is why Wendy and Marvin are not in there. I know, which is just kind of silly because they it. did include a list that. Uh, our buddy here listed afterwards, he, he said, I always wanted to see a companion crisis miniseries showing the effects of crisis on these books set outside the DCU, perhaps even drawing them in, if only temporarily. Yeah. Lords of the Ultra Realm, Ultra Force, Electric Warrior, Camelot 3000, Spanner's Galaxy, Sun Devils, Outcasts, Samurai, Golden Pharaoh, El Dorado, Rima, Cyclotron, Black Vulcan, Apache Chief, Zan and Jaina, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of those characters made their way into who's who, and yet... Jana Jana didn't. So, no. you know, it's just. Yeah. And there was probably legal reasons, I'm sure. It had something to do with Warner Brothers and blah, 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 blah. But anyway, um, yeah, so that's what I got there. 
Uh, he also asks, could each of you share with who's who your listeners your dream teams? If you had totally, total control to bring any character onto a team for a series. Rob's is led by Aquaman and Chags is by Firestorm. Each of you gets seven more heroes. <laughs> He's very limiting us here. Uh, who do you choose and which villains would they fight first? I've said, again, I've said before, my four favorite characters growing up were Aquaman, Batman, Green Arrow, and Plastic Man. And I would have killed to have them in a book. Now, I had three of them in a book in Justice League, but I would have loved to have, like, a book of just those four together. I don't know why you would have had to contrive some reason why they're all together, but I don't care. I still would love to see that book of just those four guys. That would have been a lot of fun. And if you want to work in Hawkgirl, that would be great, too. <laughs> My favorite characters don't make sense as a team. So, really, this doesn't work as a team, but they're my favorite characters, which is – and I'm not caring about the time frame. I'm not picking 1986. I'm going beyond. So, But uh, Firestorm – Aquaman, Blue Devil, Dr. Fate, The Flash, specifically Wally West, Green Lantern, Kyle Rayner, uh, Robin, Tim Drake. You know, the, you put those seven together, and I'd be so happy. Again, it doesn't make sense. The power, the power level, you put Green Lantern and Dr. Fate on the same team with The Flash and Firestorm. It's like, whoa, way, way overpowered. But who cares? I, I just like the characters. That's That'd be what I would like to see. There we go. All right. All right. Um... Oh, he sent us another letter, too. I forgot to read this, too. He said, I did listen to the Enjoyable Superpowers blogs as well, so one comment focuses on something Rob said. He was comparing the Darkseid head playset to a Henson work. That was the mighty Favog from the land of Gorch. Nice reference. A short-lived sketch in Saturday Night Live. Uh, Regards to Amazing Man, you surprised me here. You both treated Maze with great amount of respect. He was, as I understand it, created outside the main DC universe. Yes, that's true. Though he later made a one-panel appearance in the Justice League of Anarchy with Plastic Man, Creeper, Trickster, Ambushbug, and Harley Quinn. This is when the JLA all split up and formed their own versions of the JLA, Aliens, Amazons, Arkham, Atlantis. Surprise, Rosakis never brought him into the Hero Hotline series. He even gave Odd Man a cameo. Odd Man. Just because I brought this to... Brought up this Ditko creation. I hope you will note he was sadly left out of the zero issue, uh, zero O issue of Who's Who. Yeah, because at that point, Odd Man had never actually technically appeared anywhere. He was supposed to appear in the back of what is it, Omac? I think he was gonna. He was a backup strip, but his book, his books got canceled before uh, right at the uh, onset of the DC implosion. So he never actually appeared outside of an, a DC house ad in the seventies. Huh. Um, did, yeah. did he get? Was he in canceled comics cavalcade? Yes, yes, he was. Oh, okay. Yeah, he was there. You see, it was drawn by, I believe, Steve. Yeah, Steve Dickow, as we just said. Huh. Um, but I yeah, don't know. I but yes, care. yeah. He, he there. There was an ad for the DC Explosion, and it has <laughs> a bunch of characters on the two rows of characters on either side of the page, staring at the camera. And one of them was Martian Manhunter, colored yellow, not green. Uh, and in the <laughs> in the back, in the very back is Odd Man. So he, I, you know, I never have, like, considered that. Is that technically his first appearance? Because it was not inside of a story? I don't know, but yeah. So he was I, think, of, I, don't, I don't think ads count. Right, so he was sort of a never was, as, as opposed to a has been. But uh, he would have been <laughs> neat to have him in there, because he was certainly a bizarre-looking character. I think, you know, he, and something else he mentioned here, the Justice League of Anarchy, of Anarchy, with Plastic Man, Creeper, Trickster, Ambushbug, and Harley Quinn. Right. I have no recollection of that comic whatsoever. I remember... The JLAs, meaning Aliens, Amazons, all that stuff, Atlantis. I don't remember the Anarchy one, and I love a lot of those characters. Yeah, I, I don't remember I, that either. I must own it. I mean, I had to have because I bought all those things. I just don't remember that unless he made it up. I don't know. I doubt he did. He's, I don't know. Was Harley Quinn in the DC Universe at that point? 
Yeah, I think she was. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I don't know. I guess we could look this crap up, but anyway. Uh, it's really interested me now. It's got me wondering. He also attached a drawing uh, that he did for us of composite Firestorm Aquaman, uh, and it's very nice. It's a good drawing. And uh, you can find his art over at lordwormdeviantart.com. So check it out. Heard from our buddy Kyle Benning. Uh, let's see. So I agree with Rob. At the time of 1986, when you think about it, there's, this is about the cover. We had a discussion about why Mr. Miracle had the cover. And so this is where we're touching on it. Because when you think about it, very few DC characters had toys on the shelf, especially when you get outside of the Big Seven. So Mr. Miracle was definitely the top choice for the less-than-A-lister lineup in this issue. Still a great issue, though. In just a few short months, Mr. Miracle would be featured in Superpower's four-issue comic miniseries, and he'd get his very own special in 1987, as well as starring the Giffen, DeMatteis, McGuire, Justice League lineup, which was still a year off at this point. But I'm going to guess that they already had it planned with Legends looming on the horizon. Uh, let's see. Then he talks about uh, Mixie's Piddlick. He says, anytime I think of Mixie, his annoying voice starts blaring in my brain from this episode of Super Friends. I love the Super Friends. I still watch them occasionally. But holy crap, the episode where he uses the red kryptonite to turn Superman into a super brat is so annoying. What's worse is that whenever he's in a comic I'm reading, the voice in my head as I read his lines bouncing back and forth from the high-pitched Super Friends voice to the equally annoying Gilbert Godfrey voice <laughs> that Steve Pitalik had in Superman the Animated Series. I share Superman's frustration and annoyance for the character every time he shows up simply by having those voices in my head when I'm reading. I just want to note, I went out of my way to try and say the name correctly. I don't know if I got it right, because I, I want to say Mitzelblick. That's all I want to say. I'm trying to be better. But anyway. Yes. It's um, let's see. I think you're up. Oh, yeah. Sorry, Kyle. We got an email from Kyle Benning. Uh, in regards to Maxi Zeus, I have his first appearance, Detective 483, signed by Danny O'Neill. When I met Mr. O'Neill a few years ago and had him sign it, he told me a fun little anecdote about how he created the character as a one-off villain to be used once and thrown away, and is pleasantly surprised how much money he's ended up making off of him in royalties. At this at uh, this time, the first of the Batman Arkham games had just come out, and he was surprised one day when he received a fairly large royalty check for the use of Maxi in the game. He couldn't, <laughs> he couldn't believe the character was around and still being used today. And then Kyle caught me. Rob, correction. Aquaman and Amira got married in issue 18, not 19. Uber. my head in shame. And then he also mentions, I am not all that familiar with Mr. Mind, and I had recently read the Roy Thomas Shazam miniseries, and that part went right over my head. I thought it was weird that the panel, the camera zoomed in on the worm in the bottle. He's talking about the worm in the bottle of tequila that Savannah was drinking. I didn't get it. Thank you for pointing that out. It makes so much sense now. I'm How do you not know who Mr. Mind is? I mean, even if you I don't reach his name, you just, you, it's part of the, anyway. Yeah. All right. Um, I, he's got a couple other comments on Metamorpho. I like this bit. He goes, Metamorpho. Well, since Batman is fated to have a new cartoon every five years or so, <laughs> maybe we'll eventually get a Batman and the Outsiders cartoon in a couple of years. By the way, this is Shag. He, uh, there was a little Outsiders team in Brave and the Bull. There was. Anyway, uh, he says, I'm surprised they haven't done a new 52 Batman and the Outsiders series. We only have 15 fam- Batman family books. I think the world's ready for the 16th. Batman and the Outsiders would make more sense than Dark Knight. Does he really need three solo titles? Especially since DC has gone to great lengths to establish a set real timeline. Batman is neutralizing five cities being destroyed, world-shattering problems a day. He's in more places at once than Wolverine and Spider-Man combined. <laughs> Says, I love Rick Buckler's work. That Mr. America entry is gorgeous. Buckler is very understated, uh, underrated artist, and he has done some incredible work over the years uh, with his work on Justice League, Fantastic Four, All-Star Squadron, Saga of Mariner, and he named several other ones. Uh, says, he's right up there with Ordway for the go-to artist on bringing Golden Age characters back to, into prominence uh, and, at the time, modern day. 
He enjoyed his Wonder Woman story. He did in the, in the retroactive issues. Unfortunately, I believe that was his latest work at DC. I wish they'd bring him back and bring back those retroactive stories as well. Let me tell you, there's probably not a month that goes by that I don't think about. I wish they'd do more retroactive comics. I, I loved the hell out of those things. I mean, I don't care if they only did them once a year, but you know, if you're if you're kicking out trade paperbacks that acknowledge that. The DC Universe existed before the New 52. What's the harm in doing some retroactive comics and making more money off of us? You know? Yeah, that's a fun idea. You could have given some of the older guys a chance, you know, some yeah. chance to do the art again. Yeah, that's a fun idea. I mean, from what I heard, those those uh, retroactive comics sold pretty well. So, mm. All right. I uh, heard from our buddy Philemon, who we almost never agree with. He says, I love Matter Eater Lad. Now that DC has shelved the Legion of Superheroes again, I wonder if they'd be um, amendable to having their next reboot feature a more comedic take. DC could use a little more Matter Eater Lad and Bouncing Boy. Yeah, I guess Giffen, uh, Giffen Demetrius, and uh, McGuire could do that. Yeah. Uh, he says, that Mento art is gorgeous. Why don't we have a superlative nickname for George Perez? My my inclination is to say gorgeous George Perez because it's got the alliteration, it's got the whole wrestling angle. But then it sounds like we're saying that George himself is gorgeous, and I don't know yeah. how it works. So we have to bald work. is bald, bald is beautiful though. I have to say. Okay, we have to work on that. <laughs> uh, he says I have the same weakness for redheads that Shag does. By the way, so does Rob. Anyway, yeah, I don't, uh, why, why am I, I don't understand. Everybody forgets. Why you didn't get counted? Yeah. Anyway, I have the same weakness for redheads as Shag does, but Mary, Girl of a Thousand Gimmicks, is not hot by any measurement. I customize action figures as a hobby, and I recently made a Mary out of a superpowers Robin. So long story short, any girl who has the same body type as the boy wonder doesn't warrant a second look. <laughs> In a very legally binding way, yes, we agree. Yes. Uh, then he talks about uh, the uh, robot, uh, sorry, the metal men. Tin has a girlfriend named Nameless. Okay. Stay with me there. So it says, the nameless character is a great story. She wasn't supposed to say, stay nameless. In the Metal Men comic, the characters requested that their readers give suggestions about what to name Tin's girlfriend. They apparently received no suggestions of value, so the characters stayed nameless. Ouch. Yep. Uh, he says, anyway, just to keep my percentages alive, since we usually disagree with them, I'm thinking of renaming my cats Composite Superman and Hillbilly Marvel just for you, Shag. What do you think? I think, Philoman, you're, you're still batting a thousand, my friend. <laughs> I, I think that's one of those things that sounds like a fun idea, and then you realize when you have to actually say Composite Superman every time to your cat, you're really like, why did I do this? Composite Superman, quit scrat- rubbing yeah, your ass exactly, on the carpet. Exactly. Composite <laughs> Superman, come back. It's just too long. Siskoid uh, came back. There was a lot of discussions about Nameless, uh, Tin's girlfriend from uh, Metalman, as rightfully there should be. Anyway, he speculated in some names and finally settled on, wait for it, Farah, as in metal, you know, metal's uh, Ferris. Farah Fawcett. Brilliant. <laughs> that is good. Well done, Siskoid. And there was a lot of uh, celebrating of that nickname. A lot of people were. Pleased with that. So we heard from our buddy Martin Gray, which thankfully Rob is not going to slaughter uh, reading his letter in a British accent. I say. Oh, never mind. I'll let it go. <laughs> he says, Pip, pip, shag, you did it again. Refer to the Silver Age Captain Marvel stories. There weren't any. Well, Martin, for that I say, bully for you. Terribly sorry. Yes, Golden Age Captain Marvel. I keep saying Silver Age. You're going to have to live with it. It's like me pronouncing nuclear. I, I screw things up. Just we're all going to have to go with it. So, uh, he says, I keep mishearing Jericho as Jerko. Funny that. <laughs> and uh, then he says, Nocturna? Yeah, she's hot. Too early? 
<laughs> I like that. Too early. <laughs> too early. Nah, it's okay. We haven't hit our issue yet, brother. I'm, I'm, I'm with you there. So, Heard from Robert Gross goes by Martin Stein Returns. Uh, I talked about how in a previous episode where I am very accepting of Mr. Takitani, Mr. Mine, Hoppy the Marvel Bunny, all those characters, all the anthropomorphic characters. Like, I don't have a problem with. However, I have a real issue with Fat Marvel, Tall Marvel, and Hillbilly Marvel. And I, I was trying to reconcile why I have this problem, and he has a he has a possible answer here that I like. So Shag, you pondered why you pondered why you accept those characters, uh, Mr. Takitani, Mr. Mine, Hoppy the Marvel Bunny, but you can't accept Fat Marvel, Tall Marvel, and Hillbilly Marvel. Could it be that one group of characters are not a bunch of insulting stereotypes, while the others are? Hmm, that may be exactly it, my friend. So I heard from our buddy Siskoid. Uh, he said that. On the inside front cover, so the pronunciation key for this issue is in the next. It pays to look ahead. I've already addressed that. We don't. I don't peek ahead, folks. So now, if you don't know, Cisco does a companion piece to our show. He does these series of entries called "Who's This" on his uh, blog called Cisco's Blog of Geekery, and uh, tying into last issue, he did one on Amazing Man. He did one on uh, the Mercenaries. He did one on Mary, a girl of a thousand gimmicks. He did one on Midnight and Mr. America. So I highly recommend you go over to siskoi.blogspot.ca because he's in Canada, crazy Canuck, and uh, check those out. Uh, I like this. Uh, we talked about Mento, you know, um, changeling stepfather or adopted father, whatever it is. And he put in here, Mento, what? No breath mint jokes? <laughs> I, we're very, I'm very proud of ourselves that we didn't. Uh, he mentions Mira. One of the things I like about the image is that her feet are made to look like flippers. One of the things I don't like about the image is Aquaman's creepy, choky embrace, which is very true. He does kind of look like he's, uh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, you got to do different things when you're underwater. But anyway, so uh, Metamorpho, uh, we, you know, I always talk about on the surprint in the background, it's supposed to have the character without their mask. And he points out, I didn't even pick up on this, it's the surprint for once has a character with a mask. It says uh, Metamorpho sometimes wore a rubber mask to pass off as human, so his true self is on the front piece. Huh. Clever that. Very insightful. Thank you, Cisco. Let's see. Oh, he mentions the, uh, the Mad Mod, which is obscure, but the Mad Mod totally deserved an entry. There's a huge bias against the Haney era of Teen Titans and Who's Who. Or indeed the Titans pre-Wolfman. Boo. I would agree with that. The Mad Mod was a cool character. And then, of course, later they brought a big, it became a, kind of a big villain in um, Teen Titans Go!, but, uh, yeah, I'd agree. There was a lot of the villains that the, the Teen Titans faced in the 60s were just completely jettisoned and who's who. Didn't who – did, who did Blue Beetle face in the Lynn Wien Paris Collins series? Was that uh, the three-colored was – was that Mayhem maybe? Maybe like I'm getting that. mixed up. Yeah. I'm, I might be, yeah. Okay. Uh, we heard from our buddy Ange, who runs the Supergirl blog. He talks about Matrix Prime. We, we gave Matrix Prime a lot of crap last issue because we're really sick of the council characters that just keep showing up and wasting pages. And we, and we blame Ange, really, because it's a Supergirl blog. And he says, okay, I get it. The council slash gang slash Matrix Prime had too much coverage in Who's Who. They could have probably been covered in one page, freeing up other entries for other Supergirl characters. Now, wait just a minute. No, 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 no. If they're going to take out those Supergirl, worthless Supergirl characters, they don't need to fill it up with more Supergirl characters. <laughs> no, you're missing the point entirely, my friend. Anyway, um, Matter Eater Lad. The dude saved the universe when he ate, ate the Miracle Machine, a wish-granting device created by the controllers and used by an insane Brainiac 5 to try and end reality. 
Uh, and he says the Miracle Machine was then later brought back by Superman to save the universe in Final Crisis. Ugh, I can't believe I had to say that on my own podcast. Um, he deserves some props. The, his main villain was a member of the Legion of Super Rejects, which I didn't even know existed. Uh, a woman from Bismol who gained super strength from what she ate. <laughs> um, the Metal Men. I got a bunch of these reprints as a kid, maybe in a DC Digest. And as a kid, I loved the science facts that were put into the issues. Don't worry, Tin. I'm, I've made a platinum, which is ductile. That is, I can easily be drawn into wire. Don't worry, Iron. I'm made of gold, and I'm malleable. That is, I can be hammered into thin sheets. <laughs> That's awesome. absolutely love that. So much fun. And, uh, you know, again, we talked about characters that didn't deserve uh, to be in the book and needs to make space. He says, if a page ever deserved to be dropped from who's who to make a spot for an obscure Supergirl villain is J. Wilbur Wolfingham. <laughs> Cursed be that name. Um, we talked about Mr. America, and he says, uh, talked about how amazing that entry was. It's like one of my favorites. He says, but you glossed over the bizarre flying cape he had that made it, made it that rid, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the flying cape that he rode like a flying carpet. So nutty. Uh, actually, if you head over to Cisco's blog at Geekery, you can read those entries where he creates the flying cape slash flying carpet. So... Then Mr. Freeze says, who is the proofreader on this entry? In the origin, it says he suffers from a condition where he can only survive if he's in an environment that is at least 32 degrees centigrade, which, by the way, is about 89.4 degrees Fahrenheit. Somebody addresses Not, that in the later issue of Who's Who. Oh, do they really? Yeah. <laughs> Not exactly Mr. Freeze, more like Mr. Balmy. <laughs> it's kind of weird to read that he had no origin here. The Paul Dinney dead wife origin is just ingrained now. So true. So very true. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Mitzi's Pitalik. Like Shag, I grew up with Mitzaplik from the Super Friends in the backwards Clip M Skim. Uh, Gilbert Godfrey did the voice on Superman the Animated Series, a perfect casting by Andrea Romeo, uh, Romano. In the first episode, probably realizing kids might have a hard time with the pronunciation and having Clark mispronounce it the Super Friends style, the character does a pronunciation lesson with Superman including visual cues to the new pronunciation. Mix, yes, Bitlick. The new reverse is Kill Top Seism. <laughs> Uh, so much fun. Lastly, Mr. Takitani. My favorite moment with him is from Crisis on Infinite Earths. He's one of those heroes brought up to the Monitor satellite. Changeling sees him and is shocked by everything he sees. Takitani says, What? Haven't you ever seen a talking tiger before? This just flummoxed Changeling who says, uh, No, uh, yes. Of course Changeling can become a talking tiger himself. <laughs> fun. Super fun. Uh, we get an email from Earth 2 Chris, our buddy. Uh mentions Mick says Pitalik is often considered the biggest peg warmer of the Mego World Superheroes line. So, so maybe some of his figures were still hanging in toy stores 10 years later. I can close to verify that because I remember there was a toy store that used to have old Migos well into the mid-80s. Oh, uh, they didn't have Mixes Pitalik, but they had other ones, though. So clearly there was a lot of Migos laying around in warehouses that get shipped out. So maybe Chris is right on that. He also mentions in terms of the Teen Titans, the letter column. 70s Teen Titans writer Bob Rosakis has stated recently that several folks at DC were ashamed of the Bronze Age run, and there was little love for it. Hence the dismissal of Dula Dent, who was pretty prominent in Teen Titans and Batman family for several years. Yeah, that explains a lot. I mean, she yeah. did just finish. Yeah. Uh, he made a comment about Mattermaster. Is it me, or does the monarch from Venture Brothers remind you of this guy? Must be the lameness and the beard. I can hear Monarch's voice. Talked about Amazing Man. He said Amazing Man did appear in Batman the Brave and the Bold. Yes, he did, yes. Thank, thanks to co-creator Stephen DeStefano working on the show. Right. Cool. 
And then, uh, let's see. Oh, go ahead. He mentions Mr. Miracle. He says, Rob, I'm glad I'm not the only one who thought the superpowers of Mr. Miracle's torso was too thick. I guess it was to accommodate the mechanism? I, I don't know. I mean, they managed to get other mechanisms in there with thinner characters, so I don't know why Mr. Miracle had to look like he was on a all-carb diet. But yeah. yeah. He talks about Mr. America. He says, yes, Ruck Thompson played a huge role in Robinson and Smith's The Golden Age, or at least his body did. Mm. He says, Re- regarding Frank's comments... Because there's this big kvetch going on. We pick on Wonder Woman in the Bronze Age because, frankly, no one was reading it. And it really pisses off Frank, and it's kind of fun for us. It's sort of like teasing the monkey at the zoo. And he says, uh, the only people reading Wonder Woman in the Bronze Age were doing so for the Huntress backups. (laughs) I feel like there's going to be a duel coming between these two guys. Uh, he mentions on a personal note, I hereby petition a guest shot at the R issue of Husu so I can finally cleanse my soul of the anger caused by Robin losing his cover spot to frickin' Red Tornado. <laughs> Did Red Tornado ever appear on pillowcases before the Brave and the Bold tune? Did he have a Captain Action Mego every format at Superpowers Figure by 1986? I don't think so. Three exclamation marks. Wow. <laughs> He's taking that pretty personally. He's very upset about it. I think uh, we might have to see what Doug Z and uh, J. David Weeder have to say about that with Red Tornado. Put them you know? in a pit and tie their hands together and each give them knives. <laughs> Anthony Durso, who goes by the, uh, the toy room, says this cover is another great example of Perez making everything and everybody work in the confined space without looking like he's cramming everything in. Very, very true. Uh, Matter Master, he says, I really only recall him from the Super- Secret Society supervillains appearance and when he was part of the supervillain baseball team in an issue of Strange Sports <laughs> Stories. That's a great story. His, co- his costume always makes me think of the nursery rhyme, Wee Willie Winkle with that nightcap he has on. Uh, he calls Maxi Zeus a poor man's King Tut, which is, by the way, a recurring theme through many of the comments. They're talking about that. Uh, Merlin. Now, we'd mentioned Mark Grunewald drew it. We were kind of surprised. He says, Mark Grunewald dabbled briefly as an artist for Marvel in the early 80s with work on stuff like What If, Hulk, and Hawkeye. Perhaps it was his association with the Avenging Archer, which helped him land the Who's Who gig. Mary, Girl of a Thousand Gimmicks. We have a tendency to throw Mark Wade and Jeff Johns under the bus for being captains of the retcon. But Roy Thomas really started the whole trend here of unnecessary tying in bits of obscure continuity. Now, I'm not going to say he's wrong there, okay? But I will say uh, Harlan F- Frelicher, I think is how you say it, came back. And he said, oh, nope. I think it's Freliker. Freliker, there you go. Okay. Uh, Harlan said, There's no question that Roy Thomas was the king of the obscure tie in. If Dr. Midnight's nurse had a different hairdo in one issue of All Star Comics from her, <laughs> from her other appearances, Roy would have worked it into a story involving Johnny Quick's run in with a villain who kidnapped her regular hairstylist, who happened to be the guy Carter Hall had bumped into while running in to change his costume in an unrelated adventure. Completely plausible. Right. But he rarely retconned in the modern sense of the world. He added, right. but didn't alter right. until DC forced his hand by pulling Earth 2 out from underneath him. Right. Jeff Johns, on the other hand, despite a taste for obscure bits of DC history, has never hesitated to rewrite the past as he goes when he feels it serves the story he's telling. Sometimes there's a wall punch or a flashpoint to explain the change. Sometimes it's just now it happened this way. Yep, hmm. that's true. That's true. Uh, it mentions, uh, going back to the email, it says, Metallo, this artwork does nothing for me. I would have preferred pencils by Kurt Swan and inked by Jerry Ordway. Well, sure. I mean, you, you can ask for Jerry Ordway, and that's, you know, that's it's always going to be what you want, you know? I mean, it's like saying, I, instead of this kick in the crotch, I'd like a million dollars. Well, yeah, I mean, sure. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't want that. 
So that's really not fair to like pick. I wish this had been done by Gerard Way. I wish everything was done by Jerry Ordway, for God's sake. So, um, metamorph. By, by the way, because I, I took us out of the letter. Rob said we're back in the letter. We're, we're still reading Anthony Durso's. Yeah, comment. Anthony Durso. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. No, uh, my- Metamorpho. How is it that DC never published a Metamorpho in the Metal Men team up book or a Metamorpho Plastic Man flip book? Both seem like no brainers. Yeah, especially since they were paired up together on the Power Records, Metamorpho and Plastic Man, and they were both up for getting their own cartoons by Filmation in the late 60s. Uh, But it it never actually happened. They actually are mentioned in an ad that ran in DC Comics in the late 60s saying, coming soon, Metamorpho and Plastic Man on your TV, Uh, which never actually happened. But, boy, that would have been, you know, that just would have been a killer. That would have been a hoot. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, Metal Men deserve an animated series, that's for sure. Yeah, uh, says Metal Men, a fun concept that DC ne- feels the need to reboot every five years or so. Of the most recent attempts, the only one that captures the vibe of the original ca- characters was featured in Wednesday Comics and was penciled, ironically, by Dan DiDio. Or penned, I'm sorry. Penned <laughs> by Dan DiDio. Oh, and the super art by Jose <laughs> Luis Garcia Lopez. Praise be his name. name. Didn't hurt either. Nope, not at all. Uh, Metron, I love this. Rob, you you've petitioned for a Metron superpowers mail away chair, right. but he said if there was ever a character who should be shilling for Lazy Boy, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my I need this chair gives me very good lumbar support. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> uh, he mentions to me, Rob, uh, regarding the mist. Do yourself a huge favor and read James Robinson's Starman, but stop after that. James Robinson's work of today doesn't match his work on Starman. I agree. I have actually read a lot of Starman and thought it was excellent. I don't know why I didn't finish it with the trades, but the stuff I read was 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 really really good. So I do want to go back to that at some point. It slowed down for a while there, um, and then picked up speed again towards the end. So there's a period where I could see where some people stopped. Um, if you like James Robinson of old, also go back and dig up the Ultraverse title Firearm. Um, very good series. He wrote that actually prior to Starman, and you can really see he's working on his Starman style hmm. uh, in that book. It's, oh, ex- excellent book. So, uh, Mr. Freeze, with the exception of the Riddler, the character from the 1966 TV show, did the most for uh, as far as making him a formidable foe of Batman. I don't know if I read that sentence right. Anyway, they're saying the 1966 show really helped to make Mr. Freeze cool. Originally introduced in 1959 in Batman number 21 as Mr. Zero, the yep. character was forgotten after that first appearance until he was adapted to the TV series in 66. Yep. He was given a brief origin in the debut episode when it was explained that the former Dr. Shivel blamed Bat- Shivel, that's funny. Shivel, uh, blamed Batman for exposing him to the cryogenic fluid, which requires him to live in cold temperatures. After three separate story arcs on the show, the character now known as Mr. Freeze was reintroduced to the comics in Detective Comics number 373 in 1968. He then lied dormant until he appeared as a member of the jury in the 1977 story, Where Were You the Night the Batman Was Killed? It wasn't until 1979 when he started to appear on a semi-regular basis to battle Batman. Now, um, very nice, informative piece. Thank you. Now, the bit where he says, where, where were you in the night Batman was killed? That was a series, wasn't it? Like a long storyline? I, uh, I don't remember. Because I actually, one of the earliest comic memories I have, I wasn't really collecting, but you know how you just kind of accumulate comics when you're a kid? Yeah. I had an issue of that. And I want to say it was Two-Face on trial telling his version of how he killed the Batman, I think. That sounds and about right, yeah. When I read that, I was like, oh my gosh, I forgot that comic existed. So, fun. And, um, let's see. T- 
talked about Mr. and Mrs. Pitalik. There's a great amount of parental pride in the fact that when my daughter was learning how to read, she could rattle off all the names of the boxed amigo figures that I, uh, I had, including Mr. Mitzvies Pitalik, complete with the correct pronunciation. <laughs> well done, sir. Well done. Teaching, raising your kids right. Heard from Little Russell Burbage from St. Saint, uh, Rock, Louisiana. He said, this was definitely one of those issues that's better than the individual entries would lead you to think. He says, I think that Mr. Adam or Mr. Mind are the best entries in the issue. Crazy. Anyway, uh, Mirage is awesome too, but let's face it, most of St. Kevin's art looks like this, which is actually pretty true. <laughs> Crack me up. Uh, he mentions Murphy Anderson drew the mist when he fought Starman and Black Canary back in Brave and the Bold. The story reprinted in an old JLA. Rob, you have that story. <laughs> I guess, Russell. I'm sorry. I don't have every comic book I've ever read committed to memory. I apologize. I like the personal attack there. That's I know. good. Um, we love you, Russell. You know we do. So uh, yeah. he wrote, uh, I met John Workman at the Baltimore Comic Con two years ago. If I go back there and he's there, I'll ask him to sign it. He was a hell of a nice guy. And I'm with Shag when he mentioned the strength of this drawing. When you get to her mourning her son, wow. Yeah. Dude, it was just a punch in the gonads when I saw that part. I was like, oh! I uh, heard from our buddy Count Drunkula, goes by Ryan Daly, runs the Black Canary blog. says, looking at the cover, uh, I can't figure out why George Perez included the Scarlet Witch on the back edge. I can only assume Tin is trying to look up her skirt to figure out what Vision is describing during their weekly robot bowling league. <laughs> you got to laugh at that. Come on. <laughs> okay. Talking about the Metal Men, he says, I can't understand why these characters haven't been made into an animated series, or better yet, a Pixar-style animated movie. They could be ad- easily adapted as a kid's movie. Will Magnus could be a socially awkward boy genius who creates the Metal Men to be his surrogate family, or he could be a socially awkward boy tinkerer who completes the designs left by his missing father adds a special spark to the respondometer that brings them to life. Absolutely true. Great idea. I'd love to see a Pixar um, Metal Men type thing. Oh, to uh, give some praise to Metamorpho that was done in Wednesday Comics. He talks about Mr. Element. Uh, says, Mr. Element isn't as cool Dr. Alchemy, but that costume deserves to be re- recycled for another character. Uh, we got a letter from Frank. Of course, we got many letters from Frank, many points. Uh, he mentions one point that uh, he said when he was a kid, he actually fell asleep seeing Star Wars for the first time and missed the Death Star blowing up, which is just, jeez. Uh <laughs> <laughs> says, uh, I have never met anybody who cared the slightest bit about the mercenaries, the common nouns who managed to kill the new Jedi combat within seven issues of their first full-length mission that left audiences only one quarter erect. Jeez. Mm, <laughs> uh, he talks about uh, Merlin. He says, we need someone for Green Arrow to fight. How about the Sheriff of Nottingham type? Hawkman or Hawkeye already fights the swordsman. Screw it. We'll just have another archer dressed in black. God, I hate a Green Arrow. He's useless. <laughs> Uh, he says Mary was um, not tr- Mary a thousand gimmicks was not treated well by Roy Thomas, and that extended through the rest of her career, including not getting Ian Carcooled. I like that. That's a verb now. Yeah. Ian Carcooled, and ended up as part of Old Justice. I forgot that she ended up as part of Old Justice. I have no memory of that at all. But that was in the the Young Justice series. Okay. Lots of fun. Lots of fun. Uh, let's see. I was introduced to Metallo through his guest appearance in Blue Devil, so I have a soft spot for the character. Brother, you and me both. He says, I want to like Mitron. If only he could be written as something other than the modern new god of gloat. DC's answer to the Watcher. He looks cool, and the Mobius chair would have made a fine superpowers vehicle. He just needs to do things instead of being a cheap narrative device. It's worth mentioning that Thanos started out as a Mitron rip. 
I'm sorry, Metron. I'm going to get in trouble for that. Metron. So Thanos started as a Metron riff until Roy Thomas started Starlin, um, talked Starlin into bulking him up to rip off the, the good new god, <laughs> meaning Darkseid. Thanos has his own flying chair and dare to compare their cowls. Love his profile image. I have a uh, weakness for punk rock villains in the 80s. The larger, mo- the larger the mohawk, the better. Since the Blue Devil Firestorm crossover was an early introduction to both heroes for me, it probably didn't impede my appreciation of Mindboggler either. I think she was the first casualty of Suicide Squad's initial mission, and I remember thinking that she had the coolest mugshot in the house ads. Brozowski was clearly channeling Pat Project for that entry, and I don't see anything wrong with that. You are probably the only one who liked that entry, sir. <laughs> Uh, he says, my brother had the Toy Biz version of that Mr. Freeze action figure. It was perfect for getting beat down by other figures who tried to cave in his damn fool head through that retarded or er, doltish ice cube helmet. No, sir, those provocatively mounted guns do not in any way compensate for your masculine frigidity. I used to think of Captain Cold as the Flash's irrelevant Mr. Freeze knockoff, but time and tales caused me to embrace Leonard Snart and dismiss the cheesy Batman villain. In fact, I don't think Mr. Freeze is even suitable for Gotham City in the modern era. I feel like half of the old Batman rogues should belong to Dick Grayson after the partnership split, with Nightwing getting all the more over-the-top comic booky foils like Freeze. Interesting. Huh. He says, Mr. E creeps me out. I think Neil Gaiman turned him into the Witchfinder General of the Trenchcoat Brigade, the pseudo-protagonist zealot who's more brutal and terrifying than the monster he hunts. I haven't read much of it with him, and he's might, a might. I'm sorry, and he's a mite too silly and on the nose for Vertigo, but I'd be interested in seeing him in a, as the terrible Inquisitor in the modern DC magical universe. You know, it's funny. He and I are in the same wavelength with Mr. E, because I never read any of the old Mr. E stuff, but the stuff they did with him with Timothy Hunter and, and Books of Magic stuff just scared the living crap out of me. So, um, very, very creepy stuff. Hmm. Let's see. Uh, he, the- says, he says, uh, if Rob is so emphatically opposed to when... Uh, official handbook of the Marvel Universe podcast, I would vote against it because I've listened to him talk about the Legion of Superheroes. Still, <laughs> still, you guys are like the Jay-Z and Kanye of comic book, comic book encyclopedia podcasting, so you got to watch The Crown. Would, <laughs> <laughs> uh, would Rob have more enthusiasm for supporting small independent publishers like Rob Liefeld and Jim Lee in their pinups with instantly outdated biographical information comic book series? I yearn to hear his opinions on Mother One and the Kirby-esque universe building of Robert Kirkman. Or just farm uh, Ohotmu out to Siskoid and Luke Jackanetti. <laughs> well, Siskoid shot down his interest did, in yeah. doing Ohotmu. Luke, uh, Luke, Luke's thinking about it, I think, though. Yeah, um, Robert Kirkman does build a pretty cool universe, I have to say. I I'm would, not gonna, I would uh, listen to an Ohotmu podcast. I just don't want to do it. It, ugh, they're so boring to me. Um, the entries are just facts. Anyway, uh, like he says, Rob is clearly the Dick Van Dyke of podcasting. I also noticed that he's not only given up on reigning in the language, but seems to indulge in potty mouth the most of <laughs> the two of you, making him the Florence Henderson of podcasting. I don't know what that is at all. I, she, would, she would curse. And there was this great you – know, remember they used to do – Dick Van Dyke used to do those like bloopers, blunders, and practical jokes. There's this great one where Florence Henderson's filming a commercial for, like, I don't know, peanut butter or something like that. And she's got a bunch of kids around her, and she screws up, and she goes, oh, bleep, and blows her line. And then the kids are just staring at her. And she's like, oh, great, now you're going to go home and go, Mrs. Brady Cusses, Mrs. Brady Cusses. It's this funny, hilarious bit, so... Uh, let's see. He says, it occurred to me as Shag's recommendation of obscure, maligned Keith Giffen series overlap with mine, how society really needs navigators to help it separate the Giffen wheat from chaff. 
which is pretty funny. This is pretty true, too. Uh, Giffen is a comic book creative genius with a Dicko-esque willingness to travel down avenues best left alone, marring his overall reputation. For instance, for instance, folks can be confident in skipping Reign of the Zodiac, Aquaman, Agents of Law, The Book of Fate, Video Jack, Division 13, Punk's Dominion, March, uh, March Hare, and I'm going to take a courageous stand against the heckler and Vexed as well. Maybe a comprehensive list of certifiable duds can alleviate broad Giffen difference so that his gems can shine brighter. Interesting. He makes some good points. I disagree with you about Heckler, but I get where you're coming from. Uh, let's see. All right. It gets a little bloody here. I must now remove my glove and slap you across the cheeks. I demand satisfaction, brothers. Rob has been unapologetic about laying Cleveland steamers on the Wonder Woman Groves Gallery. All right. Shag's all right, all right. Behind, but Shag's hiding behind low-brow Bronze Age sales as a true act of cowardness. It is the height of hypocrisy to the Bronze Age apologist who runs a blog dedicated to a 70s hero whose book died early and is written by a prolific period amazing Amazon author Jerry Conway would play that card, especially when the bone of quota contention was related to a Golden Age villain. It must be nice to be Rob Kelly, who has never suffered from a favorite character being routinely mocked <laughs> and diminished across all media by ignorant jerk-offs who aren't even familiar with the Heroes solo series, or restating the bias of others in service of cheap-shot jokes. I'd be curious to hear Shag and Rob reading history with Wonder Woman, and would be disappointed to learn that it could be largely summed up by Justice League of America and post-crisis appearances. Um... All-Star Squadron, also. Uh, but other than that, you nailed it, buddy. Justice League and post-crisis is most of my Wonder Woman experience. Well, I mean, Super Friends, Linda Carter, you know, things like that. But that brought your – I have not read much of the Bronze Age Wonder Woman. However, I am aware of its overall reputation. And, yes, I use it as a shot for cheap jokes. So there you go. <laughs> but you've never known the pain of having no Wonder Woman series in the market. So you can suck it, buddy. <laughs> No comment from you, huh? No. All right. I like this. This is this is insightful. The DC animated universe made an appreciable contribution to the comic book one. Mr. Freeze, Mrs. Mincy's Pedalic, Renee Montoya, Harlequin. No wonder the Timverse is so revered, and I say this as a fan of only modest degree. <laughs> Good points. Oh yeah, I mean the DC comics have borrowed quite a bit from that universe. Absolutely. Luke Jacanetti followed up and gave us quite a lengthy description of the character Lockup. And uh, it's really interesting to talk about that. He, he says that uh, he, he's probably best known for appearing in a Batman uh, animated series episode, which is kind of cool. Let's see. Getting to uh, Michael on. Bailey. Okay. What's that? No, go ahead. I was say Michael Bailey over in his own blog, Fortress of Bailey Tude, recently posted oh, geez, uh, a composite Superman entry just to spite us. So thanks for that, Mike. Yeah, we, have, we have really built up. As I mentioned on Facebook, you know, with the new movie coming out, now will be the perfect time to do the live-action composite Superman. That's true. It's the perfect movie for it. I'm going to do it. All right, you're up. All right. Uh, we're moving on to Google+. Plus. We got an uh, email from uh, Mark Sweeney. Finally caught, with, caught up with the episodes I feel and feel like I can comment in real time. I'm a big fan of Amazing Man. I'm like, Rob, I fantasize about a collection of the series and the three specials. I throw in the Secret Origin short to boot. It would be it would make for a nice slim showcase a la Batlash. That is so true. Really dug the mirror entry. That workman art is gorgeous. A second choice for artists, in my opinion, would be Chuck Patton, considering his work on the issues of JLA detailing her and Arthur's breakup. Yeah, that would have been that would have been great. It would have been nice for Chuck Patton to get less than something more than all these zero characters. I think we talked about that either last episode or the one before. It definitely should have been, you know, 
the, the main people should have been like Ordway and Perez and right underneath, you know, in Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name. Um, oh, we forgot to see Jerry, the extraordinary Ordway, by the way. Anyway, uh, Chuck Patton should have been, you know, the next B-level guy. Yeah. He should have been yeah. right there. Classic so. style, perfect. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Yep. Uh, Metal Men. Uh, Mark continues on talking about Metal Men. I've always been in love with this concept, but I've never dug the series or solo stories. I've got the first showcase, which left me a little cold, and that 90s miniseries I'd like to forget I ever read. But I really dig the way that they've been used in series like Crisis, and they've been made a couple of great guest appearances in the late 90s Legion of Superheroes. They really do make exceptional supporting characters. Yeah. Um, they're difficult to get right in their own lead. There's no doubt about that. So, uh, Dale Russell, we heard from him on Google Plus as well. I should, he says, I should not like The Metalman, but I do. It's one of my first comics. It was a Reader's Digest for- format comic. I must have read it a hundred times. Uh, Gene Hendricks on Google Plus wrote, Hey, McGurk! Uh, I love Mixies, especially his uh, Superman animated series appearances. I only hear Gilbert Gobbery's voice whenever I read the comics. So I do like the Metal Men, although Nameless was a new one out of me, but I like them as supporting characters, not stars. See, there's a lot of love for the Metal Men. There really are. Mm-hmm. Uh, Luke Giaconetti gave us a shout-out on his own Google Plus timeline. We appreciate that. Also on Google Plus, we got support from Siskoid, Black Canary Fan, which is Count Truncula, Carl Brusades, Kevin Culp, Lee Lytle, Tom Tyson, The Hammer Strikes, Jamie Murphy, Big Boy, and Comic Book and Movie Reviews. Um... I'm going to blow through Instagram and Tumblr here real quick. We heard from uh, on Instagram Bradley Null, who was in fact posting some of his own Who's Who pictures on his um, Instagram using the hashtag PoundFWPodcast. Thank you for that. We heard from Hollywood Redo, Don and Ron Williams, Keechi Baker, John Olson, Captain Ash, David McNeil, Super B, Super B, one, Comic Binding, Ian Arish, Ryan, DC Dill, Lucas Zork, Sean Merrick, Sobe Joe Art and somebody who lost his Scrabble. I can't really tell what the heck that is. Um, they were from t- on Tumblr, Tsuji t- or got support on Tumblr from Tsuji Tunes, which is Jeffrey Brown, The Groupies Diary, Zagas, Icy Ashford, For Rome, which goes by Dude Von Dudenstein. I love that. <laughs> Emmett Reads and Vlad Bride. Let's see. I'll, I'll do Twitter, and I'm going to let you take Facebook. Okay. Fair enough. All right. On Twitter, we got support from everybody. Hold on to your hat and take a drink. See how long you can keep drinking. Ellen Middleton, Alexander Adrock, Andrew Crook, Andrew Durso, Ange, Aquaman Talk, Batblog.com, Buck Rowlett, Corey Hodgden, Count Druncula, Diablo Frank, Gary, I'm sorry, Greg Arujo, Jay Jones, Kara Zorel, Cord Industries, Lee Welch, Louise Garavello, Luke Dobb, Luke Giaconetti, Marcus Warden, Max Romero, Michelle Fief, Mr. Dark Phoenix, trademarked, Rob Richardson, Rod Pruitt, Ryan DaCosta, Sean Merrick, Siskoid, Speed Force, The Atomic Tony, Tom Zoller from Love and Capes, Tony D, Vito Del Sante, and Welcome to Level 7 Podcast. Now, a couple interesting things. Also, someone else we got support from is Tanya Tate, who is, uh, she bills herself as a glamour model, an adult actress, and a superhero cosplayer, and a blogger. I looked at her site, which, by the way, is not safe for work. And, but she did comment on our Who's Who podcast, and I went ahead and um, followed her on Twitter. Let me tell you, you know on the left-hand side of Twitter, it has, like, recommendations <laughs> of who to follow? That changed those recommendations overnight, let me tell you. I <laughs> uh, heard from Gregor Ruggio on Twitter. He said he's listening to the podcast and to discuss the artist of Mary Girl of a Thousand Gimmicks. Uh, it was a pleasant surprise since I work with him. 
And so, wow, he works with the artist. Just when I think I'm familiar with his body of work, something new pops up. I sent Rick an email to see if he remembers how or why he ended up drawing Mary. I spoke to Rick about it, and he said, sadly, he does not remember why he ended up with the character. He suspected he was helping out someone at a jam because he wasn't very familiar with the character before the gig. Uh, Corey Hodgden on Twitter posted us a really cool Amazing Man sketch. And Tom Zoller got in on the uh, composite Superman Insanity and tweeted. They were tweeting about um, back and forth about what Tom Zoller should draw during the holiday season. And he said he thought he would tweet this, share this uh, for us in the Who's Who podcast. And sure enough, it's him doing a commission of composite Superman. Ugh. And Count Dracula did something. He sent us a composite Superman one too. What is with you people? Do you hate? Do you hate us? I'm going to be disappointed if he's not in the movie at this point. Uh, <laughs> uh, we got uh, Facebook. We got uh, comments from Alan Middleton, Albert Miranda, Arthur Canning, Bob Fisher, Carlos Guimarães. It's not so easy when you do it now, is it? (laughs) Chad Argabright, Christopher J. Warden, Cosmic Cat, Daniel Seneca Adams, David A. Pascarella, David J. Dixon, Doug Brown, Eugene Hendricks, Green Leo, J. David Weeder. I could hug you for your love of Talkie Tawny. Jeffrey Brown, (laughs) J. L. Miranda, Joel Riviora, John Godwin, John Reynolds, Keith G. Becker, Keith Keith Mason, Ken Deemer, Kevin Culp, Kevin Hansen, Kyle Manning, Luke Dobb, Michael Bailey, Oscar Olade, uh, Olaud. I'm sorry, Robert Gross, Ruth Sutherland, Sean Corey, Sean Engel, Siskoid, The Hammer Strikes, Tim Martin, Tim Wallace, Trentus Magnus, and Zeb Oswald. Also DC in the 80s and Bradley Null, who pimped our The Who's Who podcast on the Facebook page. And we heard from uh, Harlan Fre- – how did you say it? Okay, Harlan Freilicker. He told me personally that I was saying it right, Harlan Freilicker. Is he listening right now? Is he in the room with I you? I hope so. Okay. I uh, said, so just two more episodes until I hear, hear your take on Northwind, who Michael Bailey so accurately described as the bird guy nobody likes. Hell, I used to publish the Infinity Inc. fanzine back in the 80s, and even I couldn't bring myself to give a crap about Northwing. <laughs> so I'll save that rant for episode 17. Now that's, a, we got to end. That's the perfect lead in for the next episode of Who's <laughs> Absolutely. And that is that, folks. Um, I tell you. I'm I'm exhausted. That was a crazy long one, but you know what? It's worth it. So, all right, folks, you can find Rob over at AquamanShrine.net. You can find him on Facebook and Twitter under the same handle. You can find me at FirestormFan.com. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Google Plus, and Instagram on the same handle as well. Rob, tell them where they can email us and what's our Tumblr address. Tumblr address again is FireAndWaterPodcast.tumblr.com, and the email address is FireWaterPodcast at Comcast.net. Yep. Please, uh, again, on the social medias, use the hashtag PoundFWPodcast. And, uh, again, if you don't mind, we'd really appreciate the iTunes reviews. There we go. And uh, we'll talk to you guys in a month with more Who's Who. All right, guys. Bye. Bye. Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man. Who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC. Who's who? Ultra Boy and Booster Gold, Lightning Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, Hedrick and Arisia and Woozy Winks. Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? 
Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC Who's Who. Oh man, we forgot Slipknot. <laughs>